Hello and welcome to the 250, your now weekly podcast looking at movies that are not on the IMDb top 250 <laughs> movies of all time. Welcome to what is possibly our most Irish episode ever. I am your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. Connus a talk to Andrew. Am I? Uh, Darren, I, I guess that's it. So-so. Um, <laughs> okay. I use I use up all of my Irish. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel like mine is not great either. Yeah, <laughs> to 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 my shame. Um, it, this is not a St. Patrick's Day episode. We've kind of stopped doing them. <laughs> we, they're, they're, you we throw, ran you... ran out of Irish movies on the list, I guess. But also, also, what tends to happen is like an idea is thrown. I'm not going to say by who into the air. <laughs> And one of us, who's usually the other one, has to like execute it. And while that one is doing it, there's very little not time too to do specific about names. Or... No, no, no. We try not to be so. So when you're busy organizing all these podcasts that I have suggested we do, you don't always get time to go. We need to do uh, like a, 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 a St. Patrick's Day episode. In fact, because we're doing this, we're not doing our Batman Day episode. We're breaking that long tradition. Oh wow! Because all this September, the 250 is going back to school. Let's face it, myself and Andrew kind of needed to ever anybody who's listened to the podcast. We are going to take a look at the five films on the Irish Leaving Certificate that have not yet been covered on this podcast. Those are, in no particular order, Rosie, Diego Maradona, Mustang, Ladybird, and On the Waterfront. And joining us for this conversation, we have a fantastic guest, a guest who will be joining us for all five episodes, keeping the classroom in order, the fantastic Connor Murphy. How are you, Connor? Not too bad. I'm unsure about the word fantastic, and I'm not going to attempt any Irish because I barely passed <laughs> pass Irish. <laughs> but it's okay because you teach. I teach English, yes, but I don't have to use Irish ever. Even when the Irish teachers come in, I just ignore it. <laughs> you're on my turf now um i don't go into your classroom you're in the english teacher's classroom now um but yes so just for a little bit of context because we are aware that a significant portion of our audience doesn't actually live in ireland uh, we're very big in like uruguay chile japan uh several of the mediterranean countries although i like to believe we just have one very super user who just like travels by yacht from like we're, spain to morocco our t tomorrowland episode was wrestling with jordan peterson and ben shapiro yes <laughs> in uruguay like in uruguay. In, in uruguay fighting for the hearts and minds of the <laughs> podcast listeners in uruguay i like to think we put up a good fight to good old ben um but yes so for listeners who are maybe not irish and do not have a passing familiarity with the uh ins and outs of the irish education system the leaving cert is the end of secondary school exam that students sit every year they sit it in may or june uh, i should probably defer to connor who actually yeah, teaches the was, curriculum here i was going to wonder if you were going to go into 15 minutes of context okay uh, <laughs> on the leaving cert but basically it is our end of end of uh, school exams and obviously we sit them in all the various subjects those determine which students get to go to college based on a point system and or, obviously or we, what college or what course yes yeah. yeah that sort of stuff it's very competitive some might argue it is a defining psychological event for some of the people who it uh, you can tell because every time the leaving cert happens twitter is full of people talking about their leaving cert results um but yeah we want to talk particularly about the english course because the english course includes a comparative question and this idea actually came to andrew this podcast season was andrew's brilliant idea uh because he remembered studying english and studying the comparative texts on that which included a novel a play and a film 
So, Connor, as somebody who teaches the English Leaving Cert curriculum, would you like to walk us through the basics of, like, the comparative question? Yeah, so I just want to clarify that when I started teaching is when this question came in, so I feel very old talking to you guys, you young whippersnappers. <laughs> um, and I also loved the Leaving Cert so much, I did it twice, which uh, was just, it's just great crack. Um, so, <laughs> the comparative question... So it's one of the main questions on the on the exam and you have to compare three elements. And what's interesting, since this is a film podcast, is that although you can study three novels if you wanted, three plays if you want, two plays, two novels, you can only ever study one film because uh, there's this kind of hangover that film isn't a real art uh, in, in, in the Irish education system. And it's still there a little bit today. Um, so you, you, you study, you study the, three, the three texts and you study them under four Headings. It gets more complicated. I can go into more complicated if you want. No, no, keep going. Keep going. Okay, so the the four headings. This podcast loves minutia. (laughs) All right, tangents. So, so second biggest question on the English leaving search so far. Seventy marks. Um, You have to study three texts, and there are four headings on which you study them. But every year you only study three of those headings, and in the exam only two of those headings come up. So if I if you if I was teaching you guys, I'd be studying. Uh, you'd be learning only three of the headings, not not all four. And then when you go into the exam, you guys will sit down and go, "Ah, feck it!" Only only one of mine that has actually turned up because uh, you might have narrowed it down a bit too much. Anyway, so the headings are literary genre, theme and issue, cultural context, and general vision and viewpoint. Will Ooh. I keep going? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Perhaps. What? So li- um... literary genre first. <laughs> did, you, did either of you study literary genre for instance this is actually an interesting question I part. don't remember the particulars of what I said I was going to ask Andrew what he studied I remember the three texts I studied they were Shakespeare's Macbeth because generally one of the plays tends to be a Macbeth play uh, sorry a Shakespeare play it would be great if they were a Macbeth play the franchise it's, it's very exciting uh, the novel that I studied was Wuthering Heights and the film that I studied was Cinema Paradiso. In fact, actually, I think I may have studied Macbeth as my main text. It would, probably would have been. Yeah. I think my play might have been The Playboy of the Western World. Uh, may have been the point of comparison there. Um, I don't remember what the three headings of the four that you mentioned I studied it under were. I get the sense they were more theme-oriented uh, than formalist or anything like that. But Andrew, what did you study? What were your three? So, um, my, uh, so, so we were at one point in the same year. Yes. So I did Macbeth. And then uh, switch schools. Went to and, a good school, yes. Yeah, <laughs> where, 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 they, where they did transition year, um, so I ended up doing Hamlet instead. You upgraded. I like that. I like yeah, that. They, 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 I, I was I so mean, envious I, of the I, kids who got to do like Hamlet or... Um, I think you, you're you're an Othello man, aren't you? I'm an Othello yeah. man. I, but but uh, I, I remember for the, for, the, for the main text, I um in the study... I think it was like a box room, but I, I, I had put these post-its on the left side, which is like Hamlet's strengths, and on the right side, which is Hamlet's weaknesses. And then the question was, Hamlet is as much admired for his weaknesses as for his strengths. So it's like, yes. Andrew punches the air in the middle of and the auditorium. And then like, everybody told me T.S. Eliot won't come up. And I was like, I don't care. I like T.S. Eliot. T.S. <laughs> Eliot came up. Um, and then to, to answer your question, um, I was also um, assigned Wuthering Heights. And I think after reading it for a while, 
I decided that it wasn't my thing. This I'm is, my... by the way, very typical of Andrew's behavior as a teenager, yeah. as somebody who knew Andrew as a teenager. This is the same thing in the junior cert, because we spent three years studying poetry. And I think the weekend before the exam, I said, I, I, I re- I've just read Ho Chi Minh's prison diaries, and I'm going to do my poetry question on that instead. And my English teacher was just like, yeah. Fine. I've learned by this point. Yeah, yeah. Like, At least like, you know something. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, I'm not arguing with you. It's too, too, no no yeah, energy. I do not have the... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my I, I remember I, I just stopped reading um, Watering Heights and stopped answering questions on it. And I was asked why. And it's like, I don't like it. I'll do something else. And it's like, no, you, you have to. That's what the class is doing. And it's like, what will you do when we're discussing it? It's like, I don't know. I, I just won't be doing that. Um and but so I read. Tell it, Andrew I, went to a better school. <laughs> um, um, I want to know what he did instead. What book did you do instead? I I did I did Into the Heart of Borneo, uh, which I enjoyed. It was James Fenton, and oh, what's the name of the other guy? I think James Fenton is the poet. And um, sorry, Into the Heart of Borneo. I'm we are going at, to the fact. We are going to. The this fact is not machine. allowed in an exam setting. <laughs> to be very clear. You take that off. Take the phone off him. Throw, take the phone off him. <laughs> <laughs> Put it up on my desk. Take that phone off him. Bring Andrew, put the phone on my desk, please. <laughs> you can collect it after the podcast. But, but sir, <laughs> well, your parents. If you keep on like this, your parents are going to have to collect it for you tomorrow. So, <laughs> so who was the co-author? Was well, um, it was Red. Redmond O'Hanlon was the author, but it was about himself and James Fenton going looking for the um, for an endangered rhino in Borneo, and it kind of covers a lot of um, stuff about the 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 kind of the trip and the the the, the different kind of cultures that they that they encounter and those sorts of things. So that was one of them. Regeneration um, was the other. That's the the Pat Barker book about i think it's um is it wilfred owen and uh, uh, siegfried sassoon yeah it's like some of the some, yeah and um you realize that as andrew is talking about the texts that are not films darren's just gonna nod along and go yeah that sounds right <laughs> regeneration <laughs> i i've taught regeneration i really liked it I got, the, I got the trilogy in the end i read all of them and she has another one on the list now uh amongst girls or i think it's called it's very good but anyway what was the film no, it, was, it was terrific the film oh, was that the was... one about the the iliad yeah that's the one yeah yeah, yeah 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 it's very good ah see i know literature Sorry, <laughs> the 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 third the film was strictly ballroom uh which i, I am envious yeah which I, which i in, in in enjoyed quite a bit much better than cinema parody so it's done yeah that's for sure. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, the, the the podcast stance at Cinema Paradiso has been made clear over the past couple years. But anyway, sorry. So you were going to illustrate like the example of like the four headings. Oh yeah. So literary genre is uh, basically how it's made. So you're talking about you can talk about anything from the story structure, character arcs, um, setting, how they create settings or so physical settings, and how they create a sense of place as well. Uh, metaphors, similes, similes, symbols. Uh, all that kind of stuff, the language, the very language that it's told through. So in, if it's a film, it's film language. And if it's a, it's a book, it can be, you know, the, you know, the use of dialogue, for instance, you know, the chapter s- structure, anything like that. So it's that that's yeah. the literary genre, the nuts and bolts of it. And I always teach that first because I, I just love that. 
I, I, I love that um, and despise it the same, in, in equal measure, as in I despise the idea of structure, but I love discussing structure and how it's all different. Um, and then you have... Welcome to the 250. You'll, feel, you'll fit in perfectly. <laughs> structure is fascinating. I, just, I, thought, I find it fascinating how it all fits together and then how other people fit it together in a different way, but it's the same, but it's different. Anyway, and the second one then is theme and issue. And we're talking about Rosie. So Rosie is one of the few yes. films that has, or few texts, we call them, we call them texts, all, all encompassing, few texts that has a definite issue that it's going to be discussing. Um, most of the time I would avoid those, but I, I, Rosie is fantastic. But um, it's most of the time it's themed, so it's a bit more ambiguous and it, it allows the, the students to kind of uh, enter it in their own way and maybe obliquely that I haven't thought of before. So theme and issue is the second one. Um, the other next one is one that Darren probably excelled at. Um, I'm a very big fan of your podcast, gentlemen. I listen to them <laughs> all the time. Um, and I know that Darren Thank loves... Thank you so much. And I know that Darren loves his cultural context. Everything, especially if it's a 1990s movie. <laughs> <laughs> end of history, end of the Cold War. We'll be talking about Rosie in the context of I Vietnam. Have, right? I have Francis Fukuyama behind me somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he's behind me somewhere. But um, cultural context uh, is 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 the probably the easiest one. Um, it's because... Yes, that is why I excel at it. Yeah. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, it was at the top of it, the peak of his creative it's your, performance. It's your specialist subject. <laughs> but cultural context, it can be... Bo- there's lots of different going on. So there's the power struggles. Who has the money? Who doesn't have the money? Who has the power? Who doesn't have the power? Um, when we started teaching it, it used to be very much men's role and women's role. But now it's more in terms of representation. So how are different uh, people being represented on, on screen and in texts? Um, it's a great one to teach, great one to get debates going and how to look at. You think a person's being depicted a particular way and then you kind of look at it a little bit and go, actually, no, that's not great. <laughs> and then the, the last one then is general vision of viewpoint, which a lot of teachers don't really like, but I think it's great. General vision of viewpoint is basically at the end of the film, you as an audience, you as a, a, a student of the teacher, whatever, was it a positive or a negative how did you come out of a feeling positive or negative? Was it a positive or negative end to it? Rosie's very clear on this. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and then you look and backtrack and how did it get there? You know, how do, it was got up the ups and downs. You know, this bit, I started off so happy and now it didn't quite end that way. Um, so that's general vision of viewpoint. It, that used to be different when it, when, probably around the time you guys were doing it, because it sounds like you guys did it near the beginning of the, what I still call 20 odd years later, the new, <laughs> the new English course. Um, <laughs> At the beginning, general vision of viewpoint was uh, what was the author's general vision of viewpoint, uh, which is a different thing altogether from what I think it is, um, which would require a huge amount of study to try and figure out, you know, what exactly what were Paddy Braddock and uh, Roddy Doyle, what was their intention? It's quite clear in Rosie like, but in other texts, it might not be as clear <laughs> yeah. what their intention is. Um, sure. So yeah, John Green's The Fault it. in Our Stars, where he's like, by the way, I have no intention. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, damn you, Green. <laughs> uh, don't bring it down to Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so General Vision, it quickly changed very, very quickly, but it, within a couple of years to actually know, it's just you, the audience, what is your general vision, vision and viewpoint at the end of the, the text and how, how did it get there? So there are four. Okay, and just to, to kind of ease us in, and again, we'll be we'll be having guests for the rest of the season, so this is very much your your center court here, Connor. What is on the Connor Murphy curriculum? What do students coming into your classroom? What are the three texts that you teach from the list that is available? Okay, so the list changes every year, which I love. A lot of teachers don't, but I love it because I like I don't like I don't like the same thing every year. I don't want to be um, Matthew Broderick in in election. 
Uh, that'd be. I know he teaches maths. I think in the I film. I don't but think anybody like, wants to be Matthew Broderick oh, in a. God. Every now and again, I find myself doing something the same. <laughs> the second, second, the third year in a row, and I say, "No, I'm not doing this anymore." Um, <laughs> so it changes. So my sixth years, who just did their exam last week, they studied Mustang. They studied um, what was the, what was the novel? Uh, the play was Oedipus Rex, and the novel was The Big Sleep. Oh wow, the Raymond Chandler. In the Raymond Chandler, yeah. So. Uh, they, they hit and miss with the big sleep. They all loved Mustang. And um, once we got to the, the reveal in Oedipus Rex, that, that grabbed them. But they also, they, to be fair, they also kind of liked the fact it was short. So Okay. I was going to ask, like, not, not to get into surprise? the spoiler zone. I was about to say, like, like not to, not to you know, ruin Oedipus Rex for anybody listening at home. <laughs> Thousands of years I, old. I think we're okay. I, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to imagine that, you know, even children or even teenagers like casually heard the phrase no. Oedipus and understand. No. Okay. No, no. Um, no, I was surprised as well. I'll be <laughs> okay. honest. With you. I was surprised. And so I checked out with a couple of other classes to see, and they didn't know either. Maybe one or two did one or two students kind of, I think it's okay. is it this, um, but most of them didn't know. And then I thought back to be fair. I thought back to when did I first, and I, I, I think I probably first heard about when I'd studied Hamlet in school. I don't know if I knew it before then. So, you know, okay. maybe, Maybe they don't want to admit that they know what it is. <laughs> oh, that was a gr- oh. Maybe they're still wrestling with the um, <laughs> with their conflicted feelings. That. that was yeah. it was it was a great day in class, I must say, because I was reading ahead and I, was, I would pause and I told them there was a big big twist and I told don't look it up and if you do look it up, that's fine. It's no problem because it's like old, very old play, but try not to tell anybody. So. I read a bit and I look up and one or two would say, is it? And they kind of say half an answer. I go, yeah, sure. And they go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this, this play that's so old, it was still grabbing the, the, the students' attention and they were still on that. That's disgusting. They, when, it, when it finally revealed, they threw it. Oh, that's just disgusting. Why, why, why are you studying this? Filth. That's disgusting. Why? Bandit. <laughs> Band is filth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my fifth years, my fifth years. So I decided I'd do Frankenstein with them, which is hit and miss. Some of them had actually read Frankenstein before, but that's a bit hit and miss. And then we're doing Media, and I thought, I thought they're very old. The movie. So the movie. Yeah, I the picked. Tyler Perry. Yeah, Tyler Perry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listeners may be surprised at how modern the Irish curriculum is. <laughs> but the film I decided because they were they're, they're a bit old. Like so, I said, look, we'll do Knives Out. And uh, so we did Knives Out to, to balance to balance it off. And they really enjoyed Knives Out. They're hit and miss with mm. Frankenstein, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, Frankenstein is, is from... I know people who teach English have very strong opinions about Frankenstein one way or the other. I remember like yeah, reading Frankenstein as a teenager and having like an elder, an older relative who was a professor of English being like, why are you reading that crap? Uh, which was, was something for me to behold well, as a 14 year old. like a, a weekend competition? Yeah, who can write the best? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, she didn't even polish the draft. That's the, you know, she just—it's not even a polished work. Uh, it only invented science fiction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll, possibly, Darren says, putting a little asterisk there because I know possibly people who she like Wells, uh, Jules Verne would. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they would they would probably contest that notion. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we are. I joke that this is the most Irish. Uh, episode of this podcast ever not only are we talking about the irish leaving cert exam we are talking about the most irish film on the list of possible films to be covered for the exam this year we are talking about rosie which was released in 2018 directed by patty brannock written by roddy doyle 
Fun fact, Roddy Doyle, also an English teacher himself. He actually taught in Kilbarrick. Uh, I believe my aunt actually studied English under him. By the way, this is another very Irish podcast because we will be name dropping the fact that everybody in this country is only like two or three degrees yeah. relation away from somebody involved in this movie. A lot, um, it's, it's a common thing for writers to, to, to obviously be, be English teachers. It seems to be a good fit. That it's not, it's not, it's not easy to have like a a runaway hit of a novel, but that 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 they're that they're always kind of you you know will will always be looking for, um, for English teachers. I I I I think, yeah, no, Pat McCabe was um, an English teacher as well, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and and there are plenty plenty of examples from across the kind of spectrum. Was James Joyce? I do not know. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. I don't know. Either. The fact machine. Is it worth going to the fact? <laughs> go to the fact. Take your phone back very quietly there in the corner. I need uh, to go to the loo. Yeah, go and get your Laris. Um, all right. So, just in terms of context, I'm looking up fact machines <laughs> in the toilet in the boys' toilets. We found him looking up fact machines uh, in the boys' toilets. Uh, but yes. So, just in terms of like cultural context for Rosie. Um, it is worth noting that this arrives uh, in 2018, which is a big time in terms of Irish cinema. We don't get to talk a lot about Irish films on here. I believe we've only really talked about, obviously, Jim Sheridan uh, within The Name of the Father, which was our second episode. Um, and obviously, we talked like films that have been produced here, like Barry Lyndon, for example. But by and large, we haven't really delved that far into Irish film because it, it doesn't tend to make the list. Um, but Irish film has had a really, really, really good past decade. In the past, a lot of the great Irish film directors would have to go abroad to find work. We think of people like, say, uh, John Borman, who went over to the US and made like Deliverance, for example, made Excalibur in the UK. Uh, Neil Jordan, who worked in large part in cooperation with the UK Film Commission. I think what's interesting about Paddy Brannock is that Paddy Brannock is one of the Irish directors I think of as having the longest career exclusively in Ireland, where he would have directed I Went Down, which I think for many people was like an activating Irish film. It's it's basically a story about two guys who get in a car and drive to Cork. Um, and one, basically, yeah. One of my favorite movies. Um, one yeah. that I have consistently brought into class in transition year to show them that Irish movies can be bloody brilliant. And they always <laughs> it, know it because it's brilliant. It, <laughs> it is. It's, it's, again, as I said, it's kind of an activation moment. Like a lot of people who would be so-so on Irish film and would have that kind of like push back against Irish film as seeing it as being kind of homework or whatever. I think I went down was one of those moments where it's like, no, these things can be fun and witty and like pop culture and like just inventive and, and kind of like great to watch. And I think what's really interesting, and again, this is another thing about the Irish film industry, is as of two years ago, I don't believe it is available in high definition anywhere. It's not available. It's on Volta, but it's in streaming and standard definition. There has never been a Blu-ray release of it. The only way to watch in high definition is to have recorded it off RTE2 in March 2020 and have it sitting on your skybox. Uh, I say with no experience whatsoever. Um, Updates. <laughs> uh, Joyce did teach English. He 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 taught English in um, then in Trieste in then Austria Hungary. Oh okay. Um, and yeah, he. Um, yeah, no, he so he he was an English teacher. Yeah, and, yep. and was, maybe of the language or of the culture. I think it might have been of the language oh, okay. because he okay. was so he was teaching in Austria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't he open up a cinema in Dublin as well? Was that Joyce? One of the first cinemas in Dublin. 
It could have been. <laughs> and you need to go. I, and I, I, just I, rush back I, into the bathroom when the when the urge I, takes you. The urge takes yeah, you. Yeah, I, I need. To... Choice, so yes, a good choice. Uh, but yeah, I think so, you might be right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just again, so Irish film, but obviously Irish film as we enter the 2010s, the market becomes a bit bigger, and Irish film begins to enjoy this kind of like renaissance both here and abroad. Uh, very famously, we've covered Room, which is the Lenny Abramson movie, which went on to be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it won Brie Larson her Oscar for Best Actress, for example. But even in, say, 2018, the year that this movie's released, you have like a number of very high-profile Irish releases. You have Michael Inside, Dublin Old School, Black 47. You have the documentaries Katie and the Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed. And the following March, The Favourite, which is an Irish co-production uh, with Jorgen Lanthimos will be nominated for Best Picture as well. So it's kind of interesting that Rosie arrives at that time where Irish film is kind of ascendant. And in a broader sense, you have this idea, again, cultural context, tied to, yeah, Francis Fukuyama is lurking in the background <laughs> of this podcast. You have this idea that obviously coming off the back of the, the Great Recession in 2012, we start seeing these kind of issues working their way into the mainstream. The idea of poverty, the idea of homelessness, the idea of being dispossessed, marginalized. In particular, Ken Loach is something of a late career resurgence. He's been making films forever, basically, but he enjoys a kind of a renaissance that comes off the back of winning the Palme d'Or at Cannes for I, Daniel Blake in 2016. And then obviously you have Sorry We Missed You releasing in 2019, which I remember being a big release that got like proper press screenings and press previews and multimedia screenings and was seen as being a big deal so it does seem like kind of rosie arrives at the intersection of those two larger trends irish cinema resurgent uh, on the global stage this premiered at toronto in september 2018 which is quite remarkable as well and the idea of like telling these stories uh, on screen in a way that hadn't always been kind of centered um so Connor, just I'm I'm just gonna whisper an answer to you, Darren, um, and hope that the teacher doesn't notice that. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm leaning uh, over. I'm, I'm my pen so is. So you 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 are correct, Connor. After after visiting Trieste, the writer James Joyce was determined to bring a cinema to Ireland. So after receiving the backing of his Italian friends, he set up the Cinematograph Volta on Mary Street. So yes, it, w- it was the first dedicated cinema in Dublin. All right, if it's if it's good enough, if the film is good enough for Joyce, I think it's good enough for everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Connor, if you're putting together your curriculum, if you're going to teach a subject, if you're going to teach Rosie, would Rosie be a film on the list that you would personally choose to teach? Do you have any strong association with it? Do you remember the first time you saw it? I was trying to work out what the first time I saw it, and I can't remember. I think I saw it. The, I don't think I went to see it, and I do love Paddy Burnock's movies. Um, I have a small little DVD. I'm very old, so I've actually got DVDs like a three of his. I, I went down Viva and uh, and Rosie, so I, I pretty much I think I saw it on the TV. I think that was probably the first time I saw it, and I did love it. Whether I teach it or not would very much depend on the other texts, not in terms of how they fit together, but for instance, Media Frankenstein. They're not the happiest texts in the world, so I'm doing Knives Out to lighten the mood. <laughs> So if I was that, so I probably wouldn't, I know we're not in the spoiler zone, but I probably wouldn't pick Rosie depending on what the other, the other two are. But I do think it's, it's, a, I do think it's a fantastic film to actually teach. Um, but there's usually another one that I want to do instead. <laughs> um, more, more urgently. And Andrew, had you seen Rosie before you decided that we were doing it for the podcast? I had not. Okay. Um, yeah. Were you? A, had you heard of it? Were I I don't it? think I was familiar with it. Okay. 
Yeah, I I I had to kind of look up what it was. I probably had heard of it at the time. Um and when I when I saw uh, it don't, and it don't, said don't don't keep talking while playing with the wires that will make the audio unmanageable. <laughs> the amount of time um, I've but... had to say that to the young fellas in my class. Stop playing with the wire, <laughs> wire lads. Yeah, stop playing. With the wire. There, there we go. Untangle yourself and then continue speaking. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Sorry. no, when when I when I saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, there's there's this kind of this is one of those Roddy Doyle kind of movies." I feel like I have heard about this and had maybe forgotten. Okay. Yeah, it 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 kind of felt vaguely familiar, but not especially. Okay. I don't have my finger as much on the process <laughs> of film. Well, that, that's okay because you've suggested that, like, when we get to like literature and plays, I'm going to throw the ball over to you, Andrew. That's going to oh, be okay. your special <laughs> subject. Uh, but okay, you mentioned Roddy Doyle. Um, it is just worth putting in context. We mentioned the history of Irish film. Doyle is obviously an Irish novelist. He's one of the great Irish writers. He's universally beloved. There are stories like in the Guardian where they're profiling him and they're saying when you go around Dublin, you can't help but meet Roddy Doyle's second cousin. Everybody feels like they are part of his family. There's a sense of ownership of Roddy Doyle in the nation of Ireland, at least according to like the Guardian and the Independent and various other uh, British papers when they come over and cover him. But obviously he hugely influential. If we're talking specifically about the history of Irish film, uh, he's responsible for the Barrystown trilogy, which is seen as like one of the watershed moments, the evolution of like Irish film as something that, as you said, doesn't feel like homework, but is rooted in a very lived experience uh, that is warm, funny and accessible. Um, those movies are obviously The Commitments, The Snapper, and The Van, a.k.a. the movies that Colomini would take three weeks off from Star or Trek to film every couple of years. Um, but basically, those those movies, hugely influential, and again, give you that sense of like Irish film as an evolving medium, directed by British directors. The first one was directed by Alan Parker, who passed away quite recently, and the second two were directed by Stephen Frears. But basically, Doyle, obviously very tied into the Irish film community, he charts the origin of Rosie. And I think like when we talk about Rosie and we talk about what it's about and what it's saying, all this will make a lot more sense. But this is a movie that came together incredibly quickly. 16 months before the movie was released, not 16 months before it was written or commissioned, 16 months before it was released, Doyle was apparently sitting in the kitchen. Depending on which interview he's talking about, he was either talking to one of his children or he was reading a book. But he started listening to the radio that was playing in the background. In the background, there was a story of a woman who was relating her experience being homeless. And she was talking in particular about the exhausting fatigue of it, of having to search constantly for a roof that she could put over her children's head every night and how that made it impossible for her to make any sustainable progress in resolving her issue of being homeless. She talked about how her partner was working, how they had children, how the children were still in school. And Doyle basically sat down and he thought about this and he thought, like, that is the dream. That is the ideal. That is for years what we have taught, we've been taught to think of as a stable family unit. The breadwinner, the stay-at-home mother, the children in school. This is what a sustainable middle-class existence should be, and it is fundamentally absurd to Doyle that is, this is not possible. So he writes a treatment. Apparently he writes it spontaneously, very, very quickly. He gets in touch with Element Pictures, and he says, look, would you at all be interested in producing this movie? If I wrote this script, would this be something you'd be interested in filming? Element Pictures get in touch with Paddy Brannock. Brannock... Uh, as we mentioned, has been around the Irish film scene at this stage for decades. He had actually, he knew Doyle and the two of them had wanted to collaborate on something for quite some time, but had never been able to find the right project. Braddock reads the script and he's just like, yeah, I mean, this is something I've wanted to do. I've wanted to do something very socially conscious. Directly before this, he'd done, you mentioned Viva, which is set in Havana. 
a very another very socially conscious film. He'd wanted to do something similar uh, when it comes to Ireland. The film came together incredibly quickly. Uh, the pre-production and the principal photography on this movie were only four weeks, which is insane. So getting the cast together and getting to the ending booth only took four weeks. It was shot more or less in chronological order, which is also a remarkable achievement. And it was shot using child actors. Uh, and Brannock's talked about how they had to work very hard around child labor laws because very obviously children can only work so long. Uh, and Brannock is always like, and by the way, those laws are entirely fair. I am not objecting <laughs> to them. But they did present a logistical challenge getting the film in the can. Um, so this is a movie that really seemed to come together very quickly, very dramatically, and was on screens within 16 months of Doyle hearing that interview. Uh, I think it's it's a remarkable uh, social document. Uh, if listeners want to watch it, it is available on various streaming services. If you are in Ireland, you can buy it on Google Play. You can rent it on Google Play on YouTube. I think if you're in the States, it maybe is available to stream on Amazon Prime. I will check that on. I, I need to go to the toilet myself. Um, <laughs> um, but Connor, would you would you like to talk a little bit about Rosie while I go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, I just have to sign your journal, Darren. <laughs> uh, do I have a slip? Do I have a yeah, slip? I've noticed door? I've been signing your journal for quite a lot. It always seems to go to the book during my classes. So I, I think we should discuss this later, this later on. He's, what I he's find... playing with his wires. <laughs> That's it. Back to the wires again. Jesus. Back to the wires. <laughs> um... what, what, what I love about Rosie is that it's like, that, like you're saying, Darren, it fits in exactly with where we are. We're in a golden age of Irish cinema. And Paddy Brannock seems to have spanned it from kind of the, the, the populist to Rosie and Viva, which are much more, I think, kind of poetic and in keeping with the way the cinema seems to be going with Colleen Kewen recently as well. And uh, the films, I think, kicked off by, by the films of Lenny Abramson. Yes. Um, and there seems to be there seems to be kind of this uh, uh, an Irish approach. I, I studied film, so and, and part of it was like the French New Wave and Italian Neorealism and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of national language. And I've always always since then 20 or 30 years later I've uh, been looking to see what's the national language of, of Irish cinema and I think we're kind of finding one um, in this kind of not slow cinema but not fast cuts this kind of leisurely well-timed kind of immersive kind of cinema uh, Pat Collins from uh, down by where I teach as well as another I mean he's a master of it and um, this kind of this, this kind of beautiful poetic um, immersive. He did. Was it the gravel? Was it? Was it? What was the the song of granite? Was was, was granite. the big That's one the... he did there? And then he has yeah, another one. Um, I think did he call it the dance where he just follows? It's more of it. It's a documentary. He's a documentarian as well. Mainly, I'd say. Um, but song of granite is is a work of art. I I just think it's such a, an absolutely fantastic and beautiful film to watch, and it just takes you away. Um, and it's some of it's in Irish, and I still enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colleen Kuhn as well. Colleen Kuhn, I think, is kind of the, the apex of that kind of Irish language, where these kind of long takes or these people seem to be doing nothing, but they're doing loads. There's loads going on yeah. in the shots, the character stuff, and there's tension underneath. Um, I suppose, though. Yeah, so I think this is kind of part of that. I suppose, like, stuff like Dublin Old School and Cam with Horses, a similar, a similar kind of, you know, slow sort of vibes. atmospheric vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But not so slow that it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> no, they have no, it no. Like, perfectly. <laughs> there, yeah, well, I mean, there this is, is like excitement in minutes, those I think, movies. If you take away credits. Like, it's it's a very tight movie um, yeah, in terms is, yeah. of like just its chronology. It's, yeah. It's eight, I, I would have to say it's an easy watch. It's not an easy watch, but it is an 84 <laughs> minutes. It's a crisp watch. Uh, 
But uh, sorry, just just to jump back from the bathroom where I suddenly had an inspiration that allowed me to answer the question you were asking there. Um, if you ironically, um, Rosie is more readily available in the UK and the US than it is in Ireland. It is available to watch for free on the BBC iPlayer if you live in the north of Ireland or in the UK. Uh, it is it's also, not an RT player. It is not an RT player that I'm yeah. aware of. Uh, no, I is, don't think it is. Yeah. If you're in the US, you are spoiled with options to watch Rosie. You can watch it for free on Roku, Hoopla, Tubi, Canopy, Fandor, or Freebie, which I believe is an Amazon subsidiary. Um, so you have no excuse uh, not to watch it. But we'll we'll get to that question uh, in a moment. Now, normally on this podcast, we ask about the 250. For the next five weeks, we're throwing the 250 out the window. We're not at all concerned with what the IMDb thinks of this. By the way, it's a 7.0 with only 2,000 ratings on it because... It's very apparently one of the least film scenes we at least the least seen films we've covered. Just because all the films we cover have to have at least twenty five thousand votes in them, Aside but from the bottom one hundred ones, right? Yeah, that's ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. So it's still it's still it's less still less. It's still less. It's, it's less. Yeah, it's less than that Crimea movie. Yeah. I, well, I suppose that was popular in Russia and Belarus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like I feel like um, Kelly like, and the Black Prince. I feel. I feel. Well, that ta- that's Turkey. Turkey is a very populous country. Yeah, yeah. That has very strong movie opinions. Yeah. Um, but what I would... So to kick us off, I'm going to ask three questions just to get us started. They're not going to be the usual three questions. So first of all, Connor. Yes. <laughs> do you think that Rosie... <laughs> and how the tables have turned. Um, do you think that Rosie belongs on the Leaving Cert curriculum? I actually do, yeah. I say actually because if anybody who knows me is listening to this, they'll probably expect me to say no because I disagree with so much. But I actually don't really. <laughs> Underneath it all, I'm softy. I definitely do. I think this is one of the few, uh, like I said, theme and issue. This is one of the few issue texts that I think should be studied in the Leaving Cert. Not just because of the politics of it, but also because I just think it's a beautifully made film. It's very intelligently put together. And that's what you're looking for when you're teaching. You want It, it can't just be kind of good or it can't just be entertaining and keep them entertained or whatever. Um, that has to be well well made, has to be intelligently put together and that you can discuss and, and tear apart and um, put back, you know, get the students interested in. So, and I think this definitely is. Everything is done on purpose. Uh, every little moment, every... I, I was looking at it today and I was looking at it again at the colours and how the colours are very carefully uh, placed yes. in the frame. All those elements. It's just, uh, it's just exquisite. So yeah, it's a great text to, to teach. I might actually start teaching myself. Um, you'll be pleased to hear that. I believe we'll get into this in the sports. But Paddy Brannock would probably give you uh, high marks for that answer. You think you noticed <laughs> everything that Mister Brannock had intended or put on the course? Um, Andrew, what about yourself? We'll get this from the other perspective. So, as a student, do you think that Rosie belongs on the Leaving Cert curriculum? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose as a student, I would be happy enough because of its length and simplicity. <laughs> you know, um, it's very easy to answer questions. Yeah, that I feel like, like yeah, that I could get this movie and you know um, have it sort of inside and out because it 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 does you know take its time, kind of you know establishing things, and um, in terms of. <laughs> in terms of like more edifying reasons for it being on the list um yeah i'd agree with what connor said i think it's 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 relevant and not just relevant to our society but i i think like specifically i think when when one is a teenager or a young adult you you 
I I I I think that the the social conscience can be uh, quite ripe, and you then have the opportunity to kind of like go into the world and think about how you, what you want to do in that world, and how you might change it, and that it's important kind of for uh, for for that kind of exposure. So as part of an education, like to 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 um to educate children about the kind of ills of our society. Um, and also I think it, 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 I, I, I think, I think it's nice to have an Irish, um, uh, text on, on the syllabus. I don't think it's crucial. I don't think. Ooh, like, interesting. The, yeah. Well, uh, sorry. I, as, as in, as in the, First sorry, it ought to be on syllabus. It ought to be on the syllabus, uh, um, on, on the syllabus, but I don't think an English teacher should, should necessarily yeah, have, have to pick an, an Irish text as one of their three. Um, are necessarily that a student should feel that yeah. they have to do an, an Irish poet if if they yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, there 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 are so many great Irish poets and and uh, there there's a decent variety I think within them that 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 you could probably cater for most people like I really like Patrick Kavanagh so I did him but I I wasn't I wasn't wild about um Joyce uh, sorry sorry I wasn't wild about Yeats is what I meant to say. Yeah. Wild um, about Yates with an yeah. with an e at the end of Wild. And I said yeah. I managed to say Joyce as well. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of students don't like Yates as soon as you start going into his uh, relationships. They yeah, go, what personal really? life? Yeah, they, um, they, they yeah. really come off. Kevin, <laughs> yeah. they like because he's a grumpy old sod. They like they they get that. Yeah, they get that. That's fine. But Yates, not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly in the post, like Me Too era, Yates feels wow. like he's a bit of a hard sell. To be fair, yeah. 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 <laughs> Plus, he can seem like a bit of a snob. Like the, oh, that—that's the issue. <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, the no, the, no. the um, he wrote a lot about Sligo and kind of put Sligo on the map. But um, there were, I I I think there was a sense in which he used to kind of walk around, um, uh, you know, which is kind of um, nose up, isn't it? Nose up, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, up. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to go that direction, but. It's, um, <laughs> For for myself, um, this is the one where I feel like I kind of hedge. I would actually argue that like there definitely should be Irish films on there. I agree with Andrew that they shouldn't be compulsory. I think that like there should be a broad sampling of world cinema on there, American, international, Irish films. But I do think that Irish films should be represented on there if only because they're a part of our culture and heritage. It's up to students and teachers whether they want to teach them, but they should have the option, I would argue, of at least one, if not several, Irish films to choose from. Um, in terms of, of this, I don't know as a teacher i understand the logic of it it is a movie that has a vital social conscience it is saying something that is vitally important as andrew said there's a chance to when you have these students to get them to engage with questions that are bigger than the text themselves and to understand that films exist perhaps as objects that are in conversation with the real world and with things that are happening in the real world on the other hand as a student Part of me is like, I feel like I would gravitate more towards the Knives Out Grand Budapest Hotel school of like what you should be showing kids. Uh, you should be teaching them that films are fun and that fun films are films that you can analyze anyway, that there's no difference between high and low culture. But I do think that Rosie, you know, I wouldn't kick it off the curriculum. I would maybe just add one or two other Irish films on there. Like I would love to see Black 47 put on there, for example. I know Unforgiven has been on there in the past. Just kick off Unforgiven and make room I think, for Black 47. I think both Sarah, Sarah Green and... Mo uh, Dunford. And Mo Dunford are, are in uh, oh. Black 47, aren't oh, they? To yeah, to give a sense of like how cooking the Irish film industry was. I mentioned those movies released in like 2018. Michael Inside, Dublin Old School and Black 47. Rosie. 
all four of those movies feature at least one of, if not both of, Mo Dunford and Sarah Green. Obviously, we mentioned they're both in Black 47 together. They're both in Rosie together. But in Michael Inside, you have a Mo Dunford. And in Dublin Old School, you have a Sarah Green. Uh, by the way, um, Mo Dunford lives just down the road from me here in Swords. Again, getting into that sense that Ireland is so small, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> I think they're both in the Dublin Mariners as well, are they? I haven't seen this, but I I, I, I feel like from some IMDb. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think I interrupted you, Connor. What yeah, were you about no, to say? No, just uh, I, I, loads of things I find fascinating about what Darren was saying. But in passing, my classroom has... A Black Forty Seven uh, poster up in it. Wow! That um, I bumped into them at some screening in IFI, and I'm not a bumping into people kind of a person, but they they sent me down a a poster of it. I, yeah, there's only ever one Irish film on the list, and uh, there's only ten films on the list, which is interesting. There's only ever one. Um, back in the olden days, the dark days, they weren't the best Irish films in the world. No, you had My Left Foot, which was just fine. Um, I think they didn't want to do things like In the Name of My Father, so they had things like. 42A and Inside I'm Dancing and other films that I have blocked from my memory. Um, <laughs> the the popular, the idea that you have to teach popular movies, I find, I find really interesting because, and I'll say, uh, because over the f- six years that I'm teaching yeah. English, first year and uh, transition year, fourth year, I'll always look at a popular film and to tell them how this is how it works and again kind of structure stuff etc etc and and kind of read into it a little bit more um hellboy i've done a few times uh, pan's labyrinth which i think is technically 18s i probably wasn't supposed to do it but i didn't know because my <laughs> dvd had the english 15s on it so i was unaware that in ireland it was 18s um so those in kind case of anybody's in, in case anybody's listening in case any parents listening. are listening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the amount of times i've had to hold up a dvd and say look it's 12s it's actually 12s <laughs> with thumbs strategically placed over <laughs> well, the yeah. age <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but when i'm doing when i'm teaching it for the for like the leaving cert I, yeah. I like to try and show them. I don't know. I, do, I know I'm doing knives out, so I'm undermining my own point here. <laughs> but I do like to try and show them a film that they will never see. Okay. So I remember doing Citizens Kane, Citizen Kane, for instance, years ago, and I was teaching a mixed ability class. Uh, say that I think there was there was very small. There was about fifteen. Only two of them were doing high level, and the other thirteen were doing. Is that maths? That is. That's good. Uh, the other thirteen were doing already level. But we, all, we I said, look, we're doing Citizens Kane. We do Citizen Citizen Kane. It's fine, and uh, they loved it. And they came in, they started yeah. talking about, uh, oh, so the, this, <laughs> there are two, two moments that will tell you everything about them. They came in and said, we saw this, a few Citizen Kane references in The Simpsons yesterday, sir, et cetera, et cetera. That's great. And then about a week later, and this broke my heart, but I put a smile on. We saw that lighting you were talking about. Oh, yeah, in a film we were watching. What was the film? Fast and Furious, whatever it was at the time. Going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but they saw it. So... They're going to go out in the world. They're going to watch a load of Fast and Furious movies, but they'll also have seen Citizen Kane. So I think I think it's worthwhile kind of showing. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing Frankenstein as well this year with those guys. Same thing. I'd, I'd agree with Connor more than Darren yeah. in the sense that, like, I, I think, I think ch- um, teenagers are children becoming adults. So I, I, I think they, they often want to, you know, have the... Uh, sometimes the fustier option 
right? To to I, w- to I will say that kind of your experience as a, as a teenager reading the Ho Chi Minh diaries by yourself and telling the <laughs> old English teacher where he can go is not maybe representative, but okay. Right, yeah. right. Like, no, no, but that, no, no, that, no, no. that, that, that's some of the kind of, but that's some, some teenagers are kind of becoming their own person. So yeah. they don't necessarily want to kind of, you know, go for the most, like it, you see it with music as well, that like pop music becomes much less important. Kind of when when um, when you become uh, a teenager, you become more sophisticated. Rock, rockism, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you 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 discover other genres by you know like um, artists who who kind of create their own music and that sort of thing. I, I feel sorry that I've turned this into the debate that it is. <laughs> what I what I will push back on though, and I think what appeals to me is more the idea of teaching kids that there's that the distance that they see between high and low culture isn't yeah. as, as severe as it tends to become when you're that age where like, and again, Andrew mentioned like rockism and popism. Like I have a soft spot for thinking that pop is just as worthy of serious analysis as rock is. And I don't necessarily like the idea that there's high and there's low culture in that sort of way. And I, I don't know. I just, I like the idea and I, I guess Connor kind of proves that I'm wrong and I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do like the idea of somebody going to Fast X and like applying what they learned by watching, I don't know, like the Grand Budapest Hotel or Knives <laughs> Out and understanding that they can apply these tools to things that are accessible and for young people and quote, hip and with it to those movies and coming away and asking, you know, is Fast X about the death of God in modern America? Um, I think it is. Um, I'm about 30% sure that it is. Um, but yeah, like I, I've I, started you on this whole. Post you you have. have. I just have. I just wish I had. I didn't know anything about Fast X, but I saw it there last week with my youngest. So. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it is a movie about a man who dies, who discovers that there is nothing in the afterlife, who comes back and decides to destroy the Vatican because he rages against heaven. Dom's crucifix becomes a a sign of communion between characters, and while all the other Fast and Furious movies are talk about the importance of family the go-to recurring phrase in fast x is i have faith characters are constantly telling one another i have faith you have to have faith faith is important this is what happens when people don't believe in things anymore i don't know i I think andrew may be right andrew may have cracked something or he's broken my brain one of those two things now all movies are about this now all (laughs) movies are about this um but welcome to the Fast Cast, because apparently all our podcasts have to be about Fast X now. Uh, I, I personally think the Fast X is 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 about characters who become self-aware. That over the years, like <laughs> nine and, and the last one, you had a couple of characters almost saying, Am I a character in a movie? Or uh, what's going on? <laughs> so I think that they're slowly but surely the characters become <laughs> the self-aware. Gaining sentience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the, the the fourth movie will be Dom Toretto journeying into the real world last action hero style <laughs> yes. in order to confront Vin Diesel. <laughs> That is the inevitable. And he meets up with Barbie or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's a muscle car crashing through the screen of the cinema where you're watching it. That's that's what these movies are all building towards. Um, all right, then. I think second question then, which I guess is like, and I'm making this up as I go along, but to Andrew's point about like being taught text that you, you liked or didn't like, do you see yourself watching Rosie after teaching it? Like, would, would you watch it outside of the curriculum? Connor. Um, well, I did watch it outside of the curriculum, so I did watch it before. I bought the DVD before it was on the course, so I have watched it before. Um, I tend not to watch too many films a few times in general, unless it's Magnificent Seven or a John Ford movie. <laughs> but apart from that, um, 
So would I watch it again? Well, like I told you earlier on, I, like I'm watching it this morning for this. It nearly broke me and I've seen it a few times. I'm just getting softer and softer. So I don't think I'd watch it again <laughs> after this conversation. I don't, I don't <laughs> think crying at Rosie means that you're soft. Like I <laughs> but I've seen it before. I never, I never got teary before, but like uh, I've seen it loads of times because I've, 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 yeah, I've given presentations on it and stuff. So I've seen it so many times. But um, it was today, just this morning at half past six. Maybe that was the problem. (laughs) Getting up at five o'clock to watch Rosie. Um, And Andrew, what about yourself? So if you had studied this as your leaving cert film, do you think this is a film that you would come back to or do you think it would be something you would forever associate with the the exam? Um, Yeah, no, I think I I would associate it with the exam. And I feel like I would think that I had sort of assimilated it and I, the the occasions where you would be like, let's watch Rosie, yeah, are probably few <laughs> and, and and far between. Um, Andrew kicks the down the door, together. bottle of wine in one yeah. hand, box of roses, and a DVD of Rosie <laughs> yeah. in the other. Let's have a romantic um, night in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> roses so, and Rosie, baby. Um, so bag of chips, obviously. Oh, Rosé, roses and Rosie. There we go. There's an evening. <laughs> yeah. So, Actually, oh, your question is yeah. really interesting, Darren, make me think, because I'm trying to think, did I go back to any text that I studied? As I said, I did it twice, so I studied a lot <laughs> for my leaving cert. <laughs> and uh, the second time I did it, we did Wuthering Heights, and I've taught that twice since. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, ah. so this, but I did find the second time doing my leaving cert much easier than the first time. Um, but that's beside the point. But I did, I have taught it twice since. That's because you were doing it for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I just did it for the laugh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, sorry, so yes, so Andrew, that's a probably no. Probably not. No, yeah, I, I, I like I, I would probably watch um, Strictly Ballroom if it was on, or if I was kind of, yeah. if it was on Netflix and we were trying to decide what to watch, I would say I haven't seen this in a long time and I would enjoy it. Yeah, well, that, that's what kind of got me thinking because I do have that relationship. So with the three texts that I studied, which are like Playboy, The Western World, um, Wuthering Heights, and Cinema Paradiso. I like Playboy of the Western World. I've seen it on stage several times. Uh, I I do not care for Cinema Paradiso no. and Wuthering Heights. I, you I, didn't realize you could refuse to cover it. <laughs> that was didn't realize I had veto power. I on shouldn't this encourage no <laughs> people to take that option. Um, but like, I, I was just kind of thinking about that. Like, is it is my we did talk about it. like is my association with um, like with Cinema Paradiso down to me studying it and is my like relationship with it after the fact about that. On the other hand is I kind of like, I still like Macbeth. Whenever a cinematic adaptation of Macbeth comes out, I will still go and see it uh, in large part because it leads to cool, gnarly, bloody stuff. And I like that on screen. Um, but I, see, I do. This, kind is, of... this is your popular thing. See, and this is very difficult for a teacher to get across. Like Macbeth would be a popular movie back in the oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is, yeah. and it follows the structure perfectly and it has these grotesque moments and has ghosts yeah. and has witches and has big battles it's a popular play yeah um and it's very it, it's so trying to get that across that this is your well maybe not fast and furious maybe i don't know <laughs> i mean I'm it is about of, family it is <laughs> it, it is, is in many ways family. a film about fa- <laughs> a play about family i'm trying to think of some some good blockbuster <laughs> maybe a, like a good mission impossible would you can we go that far is that too much 
Uh, I'll be struck. I'll be struck from the English Teachers Association. <laughs> but, but like again, the Shakespeare plays were they were played to like full houses. The Globe was packed. It was like high and low culture. And he was again, you know, that one was appealing to James. I believe I'm, I realize I'm talking to an English teacher, and I shouldn't be like <laughs> as as I know this fact that I feel only seventy percent certain of. But like it was like Macbeth was written, I believe, for James, wasn't it? And so it kind of flatters. Yeah, he was pandering yeah, to the king. Yeah. He was licking, licking his arse. And at the same time, there's a subtle kind of undermining going on at the same time. Yeah. I always imagine Shakespeare writing and kind of giggling the way to himself because <laughs> he's far more clever than everybody else. He's just kind of like, I'll never understand this, but hey, this is brilliant. <laughs> Eat this, Marlowe. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, my favourite bit is, is the bit in Hamlet when uh, all of a sudden Hamlet takes over a pirate ship and just comes back. And I always imagine Shakespeare going, how the hell am I going to get Hamlet back? This is really awkward. He's gone off to England. How the fuck? Oh, that pirate ship. Sorted. That is that is that is a very fast and furious like solution exactly. to the problem. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could tell that like Shakespeare was in the room with the director, being like, "Do we think we can we do we think we can get a pirate mast in here?" I think like how about some buccaneers? Get a little bit of excitement going. Um, well, and- yeah, I, I mean, for, for Hamlet is fast and furious because it, it's. <laughs> well done Connor this is now the podcast it's it's fast X specifically because it's Reyes' son Yes, yes, it he's is. the Laertes. Yes, uh, Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah. Is the, except, yeah, except Jason Momoa, who just doesn't press any buttons. He's gonna, ah, no, I won't. Should I? Mm. It's like one scene dragged out for three hours of him just standing that, in the Vatican yes, about to press a button. That's it. He's Hamlet. He refuses to push the button himself. He has this whole conversation where he's like, "What should we do next? Blow up the Vatican? I mean, I'll do it, but you guys are going to hell. It's not my fault." It's like, what's it? Was it never, never offer death where suffering is uh, due? Yeah, no, he, damn it, Andrew, you've done it again. <laughs> but uh, this, by the way, is not how you get perfect marks on your English exam. We should be clear. <laughs> we should be very clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, then. S- and some some uh, impressionable st- yeah, studious. Some en- English leaving cert syllabus adjacent recreation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and then for myself, I don't know. I think like I saw this back in 2018 when it was released. I, I reviewed it. Very positive review. I went back. I looked at my review of it. I very positive review of it. I, I still feel that way about it. But I've I've never, as Andrew said, been at a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? The mood is right. The ambience is, is just right. It's going to sit back, put my feet up and watch Rosie. Um, I do kind of, that is without denigrating the text in any way shape or form i kind of do wonder about that I, I probably wouldn't watch it outside of us doing this season and then connor final question before we jump into the sport zone before the individualator taps his watch and reminds you that there's only 40 minutes left before pencil down um would you recommend rosie whether as a leaving cert text or outside the leaving cert kind of paradigm oh i'd recommend it yeah yeah it's only for what it's only 82 minutes so that suits the classroom and it suits outside um yeah i definitely would yeah 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 it's it's it reminds me of a really good channel four as it like sunday night kind of serious movie you know one of those kind of ones that you sit down and and you've heard so much about it and now it's going to be on and you, you take a moment out of your life and you, you you watch it um yeah i think so i think it's i think it's well worth watching so the kind of movie that makes the tories want to privatize channel four is that sorry what you want to like get, <laughs> yeah. turn channel four into netflix is kind of yeah, what we're aiming for yeah. yeah 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 it's not quite it's not quite a, a single finger but it's it's kind of hinting at it <laughs> yeah 
Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend this, whether in the context of the Leaving Sword or outside of it? Um, I would. I would. I would. I would recommend that people watch it. Um, um, and just go ahead and like watch it. <laughs> watch oh, yeah. it now if you haven't seen it. Yeah. 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 Um, there we i think we established there might not be a right time to watch it but it's important yeah. that you do watch it um and yeah i would i would absolutely the right time is now <laughs> yeah. and possibly never again um, it's a very conflicting messages from the 250 here um but yeah and i i would i would recommend it as well i do think it is very worth watching i think like it's great to see irish cinema doing this i think one of the thrills of being an irish film critic in the 2010s is watching all the things that Irish cinema can do, the full range of experience that it can provide uh, in ways that are, you know, obviously like big movies. We mentioned The Favourite, which is a co-production, which went on to be nominated for Oscars and was internationally acclaimed. Small, stuff like Dublin Old School, which is just this experience of rambling around Dublin, adapted from a friend of the podcast, uh, Emma Kerwin's stage play, starring him as well. Uh, And like, you know, things like, say, Michael Inside or Black 47, which are kind of, you know, gritty prison drama and like exploitation western uh within the full framework of the experience of Irish cinema and i think rosie is an important part of that because rosie is this kind of social realist drama it's depicting ireland you know not as it was not as it was remembered not as we would like to see it but as it is on screen in film crystallized in 84 minutes uh yeah and obviously we mentioned it is an important film it certainly is that I do not believe it has become any less important yeah. uh, in and the five years since it was released either. And so. it's not sensationalist either. It's not kind of trying to sort of... Because it, it, it doesn't need to. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think that the, the subtitle um, is uh, based on too many true stories. Yes, right? that's the yeah. tagline, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that in the spoiler zone in terms of how it handles its material relative to comparable films. But yeah, I think... I think it's just a very human story. I think it, yeah. it, it doesn't, it isn't didactic in how it's tackling a subject that you could very easily be very heavy handed about. And with that in mind, I will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. You may now watch the movie if you've not yet done so. The podcast is about to start. You have less than three hours to listen to this broad conversation, including tangents. The best of luck. I love, by the way, that this is the most Irish episode of the 250 (laughs) ever, ever composed. So, Connor, as somebody who may at some point teach this movie, as somebody who knows a lot about the history of film, as somebody who loves cinema, what is Rosie about for you? Uh, <laughs> well, it's about it's it's like there's the the obvious issue thing. It's about the home homelessness in situation Ireland, and I think that's the kind of the surface story, and that's the important story, and that's the story they want to get across. But watching it again today, it's it's very much also a typical kind of Roddy Doyle story in terms of about it's about a family unit, it's about people who love each other, a family who love each other, and how they're helping each other as that one particular unit of is it five people? Yeah, yeah. Is it? Five, five people working together um, and loving each other. It's five or six. There are two, da- two daughters. There's a teenage daughter and then there are two younger There's daughters. There's four well. children. There's four children, yeah. Six. Yeah, yeah. sorry, six. six yeah. Don't worry, it's okay. Don't teach maths. That's fine. <laughs> no, there are reasons for that. Um, one, because it's repetitive and boring and maths teachers are weird. <laughs> 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 they are very strange individuals. Um, yeah, so yeah, like obviously homelessness, but also it's about 
struggles and about other bits and pieces, but family would be the, the second. If I was going for, if I was teaching this now, that's probably what I'd be going for because the issue kind of takes care of itself and I'd be looking at the family and yeah, sorry, no, I'll, I'll say the rest later, but yeah, family and, and, and home. So what you're saying, it's the fast X of <laughs> Irish cinema. <laughs> Dear God, if any, if anybody who knows me listens to this with all the fast and furious, which I've been giving out about probably for as long as I've been teaching, how long are the fast X movies? I have been doing nothing since but 2000, mocking since them. the year 2000. They, there they you go, started yeah. boosting DVDs in the year 2000. Like again, the end of history, Francis Fukuyama. Like, yeah, um, <laughs> he was right, but. But yeah, like I mean, I I think that's that's the thing. It is a well observed, non sensationalist uh, drama, and I think that's actually what's really effective about it is how well observed it is, and how non didactic it is. What I found really interesting is while they do play a snippet of news at the start of the film to orient you, uh, particularly if you are non Irish, just to get a sense of what the movie's about and to put it in context, it avoids many of the cliches that I associate with these sorts of movies about these sorts of issues. There's no text at the start with like figures telling you exactly how many families are homeless. It is far too many uh, and it's more than it was in 2018. Um, it, there's no figure at the end when you, we fade to black and the close and the closing credits roll. We never get like a piece of text telling us how bad the situation is today or anything like that. The film kind of just puts you viscerally in that moment and lets you experience it. Doyle said like his original pitch for this was to be a 24 hour study in the life of the family. Um, he shifted. He he did gradually adjust. He said 36 hours because he felt like it was very important for the opening act to have them get the hotel room and to show you how bad that was in order for the second night where they don't get the hotel room to have maximal impact. But it is it is incredibly well observed just in terms of like slice of life produ- filmmaking. Um, the, the kids are, are kind of wonderful in it. The way in which Branagh uses the camera, which I find remarkable just in terms of like form and technique, where he makes the movie feel so claustrophobic. Obviously, so much of it takes place in terms of inside a car. And Branagh, who is a tall man, uh, has <laughs> talked about how difficult it was for him to film this movie where the camera had to constantly be inside the car and he would have to be inside the car kind of adjusting it and giving direction as well. Um, he said it's a good thing that the only people in the back seat were children. He was lying on the ground for a lot of that, like giving direction, which was quite remarkable. Um, he's talked about like, uh, here actually, yeah, just in terms of, of technique, it's worth getting, and these are quotes, I believe, from an interview with uh, Movable Feast and then there's another discussion from Seventh Row. But he's talked about how when he was working with a cinematographer who was also an actor, they'd set certain rules. So, for example, we're never going to look in the windows at them except for the first shot and the last three shots of the film. Otherwise, we never observe them from the outside. It's naturalism, but it's not a dispassionate, observed documentary style. It's a kinetic one where you're very present with them at all times. We're always using medium close-ups or traveling shots or point-of-view shots that develop into someone moving into their own POV or out of their own POV. These rules establish a coherent aesthetic that brings a feeling of eminence and a feeling of some relation between the camera and Rosie. We talked a lot about setting the parameters. We decided things like condensation was going to play a role in the film. There's also colors, by the way, this is where Connor got his top marks, like blue, where I want you to get a sense of rising blue the whole time. At the end, there's this sort of blue ceiling above them, like they've been submerged. Yellow is a color of shame in the film, so I use yellow in very specific moments to talk about a narrative of shame. And and here, by the way, is probably the most important part for any poor Leaving Cert student who's decided to stick on this podcast. 
I don't want people to read these things and say that this means that. But from a filmmaker's point of view, we always use them to navigate through a narrative structure. We had this toolkit of things we'd establish, a mixture of tools and rules, Can I, uh, which I find very interesting. I need to get on the color thing for, for, for one very specific reason. English teachers, when a lot of them don't know a huge amount about film, and they'll admit this because it's not part of the general, your general degree in English is, doesn't necessarily contain film. Um, so they kind of struggle with film. So a lot of them teach colors as red means danger. Cold, blue means cold and this means that and that means this and it's taken me and a few of the other kind of teachers who know a little bit more and I, I, I know that's you know that's ego talking but that's yeah. this is the way to be fair this is the way we operate as English teachers we share information and, and expertise yeah. so they won't they won't want me saying this just try and get across the idea that that colour does not mean that in every film and also that colour in this particular film will not remain consistent as to refer to this particular thing. It could be a connection. It could be an atmosphere thing. It might mean this, but that's not a dead set rule. So I think what he said there about, you know, um, not interpreting them literally, yeah. I think it's very interesting. Because I had taken up yellow as being slightly different. Oh, okay. Um, shame, but it's also connected. And maybe, this, maybe it does connect. She puts the yellow cardigan on her daughter when she, when she takes off the, the damp clothes. There's a yellow in the background of their, when they go back to the home. Yeah. There's a yellow in the, the, the black bag ties. There's a yellow in the in the curtains of Darren's house, I think it is. But they all seem to be this kind of, I suppose this is where he gets the shame, whereas I was interpreting as kind of like representing kind of the home or the, the wishfulness of being at home because the yellow at home is, is dirty. Uh, it's not a crisp yellow. And the yellow she puts on to kind of make her child feel warm and happy after being embarrassed with her friends is a bright yellow. But then she covers it with a red cardigan. Yeah. Um, so I took it as being more got to do with the idea of a home. So the shame probably kicks in them, this homelessness, as in something they don't have. But yeah, the colour thing is fascinating when you're talking to English teachers um, to try and get them away from this idea that it Rigid. has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The blues, I yeah. love the blue as well, though. Yeah, it's it a is very important very vivid film. to note that the 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 same laws of rules of symbolism don't apply across movies. When when she's given an orange juice, it's not it the, doesn't like, mean she's going to die in the next. It's about to be a, a, I can't a, 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 a shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Darren's wearing orange at the moment. Are you okay, Darren? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> Andrew hears the sound of a helicopter beating in the background outside the window. <laughs> uh, Andrew just excuses it's himself. It's okay, I'll take care of this. Oh, I fumbled my gun. <laughs> I hate when you hear a train in the background as well. Go, oh, no, no train. Go away. Uh, <laughs> it's going to get but, shot. <laughs> But like, I I do I do think that there is something like very effective. Like I think the film's visual storytelling is incredible. Like I think the way in which it tells the story, the way in which it is so claustrophobic. So much of this movie is shot, as he points out, in close-ups, but it's often over shoulders. There's this recurring emphasis on like the windows, uh, particularly like looking out windows. Characters constantly sleeping like against windows. Like the drawing or illustrations, the the daughter drawing the picture of the family home in the condensation on the window of the car, for example, and, and the idea. Of, like that that idea of being seen and observed and not having the privacy of a home i feel where... i feel like, like the claustrophobia as well we in in the kitchen like it, it's it's very obviously kind of in the basement and it's like cramped and i think in the hotel room is there are the curtains they're always kind of drawn yeah 
yeah so you 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 get more of a sense of kind of the... there's a framing that a lot of kind of things are framed within a frame as well and they're kind of squashed they use curtains a lot for that and then yeah. even in the scene where she's talking to the principal where it starts off as a two and it's kind of wide and then it all goes wrong and all of a sudden she's hiding almost behind the computer screen and she's getting smaller and smaller and uh, it gets more and more claustrophobic as you go along. Um, It's just very carefully, very carefully put together. Um, For 82 minutes, everything is, is precise. Yeah, even like the the use of long takes, like even when characters step outside, like the 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 most obvious outside sequence is the sequence where she crosses the green in a long wonder, which is like she's passing through a big wide open space, which is a green field in the middle of a housing estate. But the film, because it's using handheld cinematography, because the camera is pushing up behind her and it circles around her. One of the nice touches is as she's crossing the green, it kind of passes around to observe her and scrutinize her. And then it swings back behind her. You have this sense of like, and again, because not to make this the most Irish podcast ever, because it is shot in Dublin and is constantly gray, overcast and impressive. um, You do manage to maintain this sense of like, it always feels like the characters are under pressure, even when they are in these wide open spaces. Um, there is, like, it, I think it's quite yeah. incredible in terms of the way that it does that. It's almost uh, the, 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 the camera feels like it's kind of in her personal pushing. space. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. pushing in on her. That bit, which again, is, oh, that bit, sorry, that bit when she's walking across um, kind of fascinates me in a different way. Because she's walking, she, she goes right towards that puddle of water in the middle. Every single, you know, why, why doesn't she veer <laughs> a little bit more to the left away from it? But no, right down, heading towards the big puddle. And then I, I think when the cameraman kind of moves around a little, I'm yeah. convinced that he's actually moving away from a bit of water. And uh, yeah. <laughs> because oh, it was just a happy coincidence. <laughs> it's yeah. a happy coincidence. <laughs> but I, I went watching that today. I started listening to the sounds. So you have the motorbike, you have cars. And the heat, there's the sound of seagulls coming in constantly throughout it as well. These seagulls, which we know are like the scavengers and the rats of the sky. And just this <laughs> constant seagulls coming in and they dominate towards the middle, I think, as she's walking across that. Um, but he does love people walking and getting lost, uh, which kind of reminds me that they're like the ghosts in the underworld of some kind of Greek or Roman myth. that They, they have no identity and they're just uh, barely recognized. She's constantly saying her own name to people uh, Rosie Rosie Davis Rosie Rosie Davis and and at the end then she's kind of looking in the mirror to confirm that she actually yes. exists she's an actual real person uh, I, yeah I love that I love the wandering and I love the corridors in the hotel when John Paul comes back great name by the way uh, when he comes back and he's trying to find like he's going through a maze and he's kind of looking a little yeah. bit confused and as if again, kind of going into the underworld, looking to see where his 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 lover has gone, her lover's soul. Uh, I, I, all of that, all of that, and the kind of the connotations and the and the illusions that that we get. As, as even going across the grass, she's going off trying to find her daughter as well, trying to put the yeah. family back together, trying to get the the unit and the cohesion. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's beautiful. I mean, well, like, even the, the idea of the car, the car is like a transitory space. It should be a means of transport. The idea of her as a wanderer, a family that has no fixed abode to go to, where they're literally between spaces, they're in liminal spaces. It ends with them in a car park, you know, which is the, the like that really heartbreaking, tragic shot is seeing the car from you know, John Paul's perspective, sitting up on the thing, watching over them. But the idea of this big empty space where there's just this car parked in the middle of it and there is no there, there is no home, there is no space that is their own. And again, condensation like like breath on windows, these transparent surfaces where you're trying to make an impression that just ends up getting wiped off anyway. Like again, I think it's, it is 
for all that it is naturalistic and for all that you can see it place it in the tradition of kind of like naturalist slices of life kind of cinema it is i think as you say very poetic in terms of its imagery and its its themes and its its motifs the ending with the car on its own as in this one car and an empty car park a place where cars are supposed to live but there's no cars there because everybody's gone home to their mm. own home but it starts off with the car outside a terrace outside loads of homes um, and that's even that that image is that's even that image is quite stark and it's it's gut wrenching when you when you when you put that together it started off and the house was just there just you could touch it and now nothing mm. nothing at all yeah. emptiness around them I was convinced that their peachy would play a a big part in the plot of of <laughs> of the third act. <laughs> It was like Chekhov's Peachy, where it's like, oh, do you have Peachy? You have to it's put like, him back in the box. Should yeah, put yeah. the bunny back in the box. <laughs> no, true, true. Peachy freaked me out. I couldn't handle Peachy. First time I watched it, I couldn't handle it. I just couldn't. Oh, my God. If they lose Peachy. That's what I was thinking. Peachy, yeah. I'm turning this off straight away. I'm not watching anymore. The entire time. Yeah. yeah like, that's like, that's the tension. Yeah. Um, Forget about the kids or the family. No. It's Peachy. It's a... a a lot of um, when Peachy's are, not on screen, kids should be asking, "Where's Peachy?" <laughs> some some parents have the trick of having more than one version of that <laughs> beloved kind Welcome of. Welcome to uh, parenting with Andrew. <laughs> um, um, but then when you're moving houses, like we can only fit, we can only fit one Peachy. Oh, so yeah. you end up with Peachy Prime? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've we, I've I've been there with I, I've three kids, and they've all had a Peachy, a Peachy was left in Belfast Hotel a few years ago. And the relief when it got posted down to us was incredible. It kind of went filtered through the whole house. We've, I've, I have three kids, there's five of us here. And so they all have a peachy. So when I was, like you were saying, Darren, it's very real. It's very real. Yeah. Even the little girl yeah. constantly needs to go to the toilet because that's what happens <laughs> all the time. <laughs> At the most inconvenient moment. Uh, Dad, I need to go to the toilet. You're going to go, where? Where are you going to, where are we going to go? <laughs> but they're in the car and it's always in the car and they're in the car all the time. And that, that girl was always, uh, three times encountered it today. Three yeah. times, the magic number three. But Peachy and the toilet, um, just the, just the, the rule the, of comedy. You want a child yeah. to say they need to go to the toilet three times in a movie. I'll have to. I'll have to go back and count how many times Peachy went missing. But the, Peachy goes. He, he, he picks him up at the end. Well, yeah, I think he yeah, picks yeah. him up at the end and throws him into the car, doesn't he? Oh my God, Peachy! Oh, I can't yeah. handle it. And he has to dig through the car to find him as well. And I think there's another point where she digs Peachy. Yeah, she digs. No, she digs the puppet out at the start, isn't she? Digs the hand puppet out. That's right. He, he gets it. He he has to go down to the car to get Peachy. Yes. And I think she finds. There's a bit around the school where she either yeah. picks him up from under the seat or it's somewhere she picks him up. And then yeah. at the end, he, he, he just grabs he kind of throws it. it back in. Yeah, that that traumatized, peachy traumatized me. Yeah. <laughs> Much again, more than the family being alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such an effective, like, shorthand of visual storytelling. Like, I like, like, this is the thing with this movie where this movie arrives in a spate of very socially conscious movies. We mentioned, like, I, Daniel Blake. I think of, like, The Florida Project coming out around the same time as well. And there is this kind of, you know, on the one hand, it's great to see those stories on screen. It's great to see those those voices represented. It's great to see those tragedies depicted and acknowledged through cinema. But there is this debate about, you know, what is termed, quote unquote, poverty porn, the idea of like exploitation, where like particularly in the American markets where there's such a big divide between indie cinema and blockbuster popular cinema, between your Rosies and your Fast Xs, to go back to the examples that we've seemingly latched on for this podcast. But like there is this difference between the people who go and see an A24 film um, versus the people who will go and see a Universal Pictures focus film, whatever. And there is this debate about like, 
are these stories of real life suffering being made for middle or upper class audiences to yeah. enjoy vicariously to kind of it's... like look at them and look at this suffering and kind of go well it's very sad but we're we're good for recognizing it you know that kind of sense of feeling it maybe a little bit exploitive or a little bit cynical or a little bit calculated the argument that those movies are prestige fair that tend to win awards and i i think I'm I'm skeptic I'm more skeptical than most of say like the Florida Project. I I I'm the one person who does not care for the Florida Project because it it for me crosses that line where nobody who watches that movie needs to be told that poverty and homelessness are bad. Nobody who is aware that movie exists is uninformed of the issues and needs a reminding or a shaking up. And I think though Rosie manages at least for me to avoid that because it it is well, first of all, <clears throat> Irish cinema isn't fragmented in that way, I don't think. Irish, the Irish market is what it is. I don't think there's a big difference between, say, in Bruges and Rosie. I don't think there's a huge difference between... It's, prob it's probably a different... I mean, I suppose there's elements of Frank McCourt, which are... Kind oh, of, Angel's Ashes, um, yeah. yeah. like Roddy Doyle-esque, that there, there will be kind of like moments of levity, but that mostly it's kind of misery um lit or at least that, that that that's the criticism of it and that's um and the question of whether or not that's what, for an international market as well because that was a move that was a and how that tended to sell very well internationally how true it was for or versus like how sensationalized it 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 it, it had been made to be yeah i think after tis there was like tisn't and tis in my ears <laughs> was it wasn't there too um or, um, this is the the Angela's Ashes shared universe, like the the, the kind of <laughs> no, that, that, yeah, there was a kickback saying it wasn't real, yeah, that it was pe it was people bad, wrote, it wasn't yeah. Bad, yeah, yeah, that that yeah that 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 it, that it was, the, um, yeah. and I think I think Doyle manages to avoid that because Doyle has you know he's taught in Kilbarrick, he knows this experience, this is a very lived experience for him, he's writing organically, and I think that the movie is kind of grounded I, and personal. Yeah, um, and he, I, I don't think he's trying to shock the audience either. Yeah. I, I, I feel like he's just presenting, kind of a, mm. a, 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 a very Matter of real uh, story. And I think that's why the, that's why that kind of the family and the relatability and the reality of the different interactions, that's where that kicks in and that kind of levels it. You, it becomes relatable. I'm look, look at me. I have books behind me on the most middle-class person, an English teacher. <laughs> we had chickens at one stage. All my three children of Irish names. I'm really middle-class. <laughs> you cannot meet a more middle-class uh, person than I am. But I, I, I can relate to those people in terms of um, them as people and how the family dynamic is work. So I can imagine. So I, I'm not looking down on them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying, oh, they're working class because they're not working class. They're just people who ended up with no home. They're you know yeah. they're, they're the same as John Paul else. has a job in a kitchen like yeah. it's you know yeah. yeah and and they did have a house and they just got screwed out of it and I think the other thing that works really well for the film is that they're apart from the the landlady manageress of the retail whatever uh, there's no baddie in it everybody wants to help them yeah. even at the end when they're in the kind of fast food place they're gonna got another ten minutes and they're not get out get out get out or when the restauranter. Uh, He's under pressure. When John Paul tells him, yeah, tells him yeah. that his kid's gone missing, it's the restaurateur who drops him. To, yeah, yeah, straight away. Yeah, so everybody, apart from the mother, but I can get back into that, but I have an issue with that, but everybody's out to help them. They're very relatable. There's no big baddie, um, apart from maybe capitalism. But um, I think that's <laughs> that's what it is. But that's that's why it doesn't feel like... Yeah. I, I, I didn't, want to, I didn't find, 
finished the Florida project. I watched about, I don't know, 45 minutes of it. And I said, this, this really isn't for me. I, I, I just didn't enjoy watching it. Um, again, I think it was a bit of that kind of, you know, yeah, yeah that kind of middle class people are, God love them. Ah, uh, sure, look, this is terrible. God love those people. And I'll go off now and buy a latte and I'll sit next to somebody and we'll say how terrible these people's lives are. Um, I think that, that I, I get that a little bit from that. So I didn't bother watching it. I don't think it's the same as you say, Darren, as, as yeah. Rosie. I think, yeah, I, like, uh, I think there's there's a sense in which the middle class are kind of like the soft villains of this. Like the, the, the scene in, I believe it's Eastwall. Is um, this the rental place? Yeah, it? yeah, where where they're 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 well, looking at kids. it, and every every everybody only, only four. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 there there uh, other pe- you can hear people saying it's a bit small, isn't it? And it's it's kind of like that that this place that would be a dream for them is not good enough for for like you know yeah. well, a, I found, I found a, it, a professional couple say well that's it i found it very striking that when he goes over and he says put my name down for it she starts to do so and doesn't tell him oh by the way it was snatched up the moment that this place opened which is like what a lot of i believe people's experiences on the irish rental market at the moment it's like as soon as the place is seen it's gone i did like that it was like no this place isn't gone immediately but then as you said the reaction that he gets from her when he says he has four children and she's like, are yeah, you sure? She, she, she's a reasonably sympathetic character. I feel like she's not kind of, yeah, that she's not, she's not really a villain. It's just that there, there, there is a sense in which like the people, um, they're in their kind of like comfortable world where it's like, oh, do we really want this house? Like, yeah, you know, um, I mean, and where, where is they're desperate? Yeah, and I think like I think to Connor's point, what what. And again, this is stepping outside the film and going into the, like the real life housing crisis that inspired the film. Is that like what what is interesting about that is that it is the middle class that is affected. Like as as Roddy Doyle said, like the this is a family where the mother stays at home, the father has a job, the kids are going to school. This is like what everybody from their childhood is told should be the perfect idyllic existence. It's it's that Atlantic article about how, you know, the Simpsons in 1988 seemed like just a depiction of American life. And now in like 2023, it seems like some sort of aspirational fantasy where one breadwinner can have a house with four bedrooms, two sitting rooms and a kitchen and two bathrooms. Um, and I believe that's actually the se- recent season finale of The Simpsons is about that. It's a poor house rock. It's basically Hugh Jackman showing up and telling Bart that he will never afford the house that he's been living in for the past 23 or sorry, past 33 years. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that like, I that... think, I mean, you could probably, I, yep. it's perhaps, it's, it, it's perhaps difficult to argue that, it, that, that I, I suppose if, uh, are we actually saying that they're middle class because okay. he, he's a kitchen porter? Like what? What are? are if, what did if, she if, describe if, it? Fancy happy meals or happy meals with motions? Like yeah, it does feel like he's if, part of like the upper. He's, he's he is working in a kitchen, but he's no, working but he, in a posh he's, kitchen. He's a kitchen porter though. Okay. Like like if, if 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 a kitchen porter isn't working class, then kind of who is? Okay. I think I think they're, they're, they're I think they're working class. But they have that lovely mid. They have the the symbol of middle class. They have the trampoline, the, the symbol of Celtic Tiger aspirations. Sure, in yes. the back garden. So they're kind of they're working class and uh, seem to have been working out for them. She dropped out of school, uh, up but etc. So, 
and then they had, but they, they seemed to be they were building. It looked like they were building towards something. Yeah. Um, I think the trampoline is 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 very carefully uh, symbolic in in the back garden. Oh, you know, I have a note about the trampoline. We'll come back to the trampoline. <laughs> and so, but definitely working class, definitely from a working class environment. But okay. um, I don't think um, this might say more about Ireland as well. I we we. When I'm looking at the film, I suppose, I'm looking at it these days and I can see my students there. You know, I can see, I, I, I know those kids when they're older coming into my class. Um, and I can see, and, and they, so they'll, in, in, in Ireland, in my class, you have the working class, you have the farmers, you have solicitors' children, you have doctors' children, you have, you have film directors' children, you have all sorts. Everybody is in there together. Um, it's the only school uh, for, for, for a few miles around. So everybody is there. So we don't have, from my perspective, from what I'm teaching, uh, we don't have the kind of class system. Now, I have taught in Dublin as well. And I taught in a fee-paying school in the south side and I taught in a debt school in the north side. So it, Dublin's kind of, it's a different, I'm teaching down in West Cork, so it's a different environment. Um, so from my perspective watching it, it felt like a normal family and this just happened to them and yeah. I didn't feel it necessarily exploitative but I did see my students and that's probably what got me this morning yeah. at half six <laughs> that's what I was, I was gonna say like it does feel like it's the bottom has fallen out of something like that's the thing about the housing crisis is that like it felt like for an entire generation and it's not just an Irish thing it's, it's happened internationally as well but it's the idea that this isn't something that just affects poor people or, no. or people who like don't have jobs or don't have a stable environment like you can have a stable job. You can have a stable home life, as as John Paul and Rosie Those do. Those things are precarious, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, every everybody's only what two paychecks away from from poverty. Is the thing about capitalism. But yeah, the idea that like you can have all that and still not have a home is a kind of a universal idea. Like I I know many of the people. I am very lucky. I I own a house. I am well aware of the fact that I own a house largely through luck. Um, it like it is. Had things landed slightly differently, I would not have a home. Uh, but many of the people of my generation I know don't have homes. Many of them rent and many of them are in situations that are very similar to the situation that's depicted here, which is landlords deciding that they want to raise the rent. Like I was I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago who was basically kicked out of their apartment because the landlord decided they could get 200 euro more uh, for it in terms of rent. Like it is, there's something that it's not, this doesn't feel as stark a divide in terms of its portrayal of, say, poverty as as something like the Florida Project. But sorry, Andrew. No, no, no. Um, in terms of the trampoline, uh, this is the, the interesting thing about the trampoline. It was not in the original script. Uh, this was not a heavily improvised movie. But while they were filming the sequence where the family go back to the old house, uh, apparently Brannock and I believe it was Sarah Green and Mo Dunfer came up with the idea that the kids should want to go to the old house and they should want to go into the backyard of the old house. And apparently it was Roddy Doyle's suggestion to add, as you said, the aspiration, uh, the aspirational trampoline. And and as you said that, I was like, yeah, when we were in Sligo, we had a trampoline. Um, my parents would be of that generation where my mother did not finish school, um, for example. My dad did go to college, um, but I am the first generation on my mother's side to go to college. Uh, which is quite terrible. I'm the same on my, my dad's side. Yeah. Um, like that, that's yeah. a sense of like how Irish culture is and like how close this is. But it's like, yeah, we had a trampoline in our backyard when we were in Sligo um, because that was the kind of thing where, you know, we want the kids to have something that we never had and we want to show them that they can have like a, you know, being a child in, in the 
Ireland of my mother and my father was not easy. Um, and I think like the trampoline, I think you're right to latch onto it as the perfect symbol of we want the kids to have something for them in this space that we never had, which seems like this object of kind of aspiration. Um, like I said, yeah. I'm middle class, so I, I have a trampoline, obviously. Uh, obviously, it's it's actually <laughs> not for your kids. It's for you. It's yes. for, <laughs> as, actually, we're not, we don't let them use it. We just have it as a little symbol at the back. Yeah, you're doing an excellent job the, yeah. keeping the mic stable from the trampoline. I, I do appreciate how deft <laughs> yeah. your handling of the microphone is. Petrina and I are thinking of a trampette. <laughs> just to kind of um, like not not go full trampoline. Yet. Yeah. You never go full trampoline. Never go full trampoline. <laughs> um, in in terms of others, have you mentioned you want to talk about the scene with the mother? Because that's the scene where I think we get the closest thing to backstory in the movie. One of the things I actually like about the movie is it throws you into the situation as it's evolving. It largely counts on you to pick it up as you're going along to piece together the particulars of what happened to the family to observe how the family behaves. Again, that almost naturalistic, that idea that Doyle had of just spending 24 hours and then 36 hours with the family and getting the sense that this is what it's like for them every day. But you mentioned the scene with the mother in the housing estate. And I think that is the one point in the movie where we get something that is more explicitly backstory. But you said you wanted to talk about it. What did you want to say about it, Connor? Okay, I didn't like it. So all the rest of the bits and pieces, we meet her friend at the beginning who's helping out. We meet um, John Paul's brother. I think his name is Darren who has most of the gear in this small, tiny apartment and the dog as well. <clears throat> and that's all done very naturally. And obviously they want, the, his wife is pregnant and they want the stuff gone, but they feel awkward about saying it. And this is all, that felt all very real and beautifully acted and, and, and put together. And then I felt the mother's story, it felt like somebody said, we have to give her a reason not, go, not to go back to her mum. Right. Uh, that they just ignored John Paul. So what reason can we come up with? Well, everything else seemed organic and seemed real. But the, yeah. the the dad story seemed as a as a plot device as opposed to something that that, that felt real uh, that felt like part of the family part of the milieu. It felt forced for me. It felt forced and pushed into the story to stop her going back to the mother. And that was the one scene that I didn't like. Um, it's kind of yeah un- underdeveloped maybe as well in in a sense. And and I I I agree with you there that it didn't um it didn't fit like. The, the movie is not about that. Yeah. And it doesn't really... Um, Unpack or explore. Yeah. yeah. In in a way that, like, if you're going to have that in a movie, like, what are you going to say about it versus kind of just using it as, as, as a... Um, as a plot device or as, an explanation uh, or a justification for exactly, what's yeah. a larger narrative. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are ways of explaining that away without kind of raising more questions as to well also also bringing in the idea of like again like child sex abuse is a very heavy subject to bring into a movie that is already dealing with a very heavy subject yeah how are we gonna as you say unpack that yeah versus kind of like um just um suggesting at it yeah but i did like the fact that the, the kids had to go to the toilet again (laughs) <laughs> and all all the kids went into the toilet all they all went in and i can i can imagine them all queuing up come on come on come on come on going into the toilet where's the toilet paper i know exactly what happened in that house in those few minutes when the mother was outside um i do love by the way that apparently rosie's sister is in toronto so she could have seen the premiere yeah. of rosie which was quite nice um but I, I also like the recurring motif of smell which i find is very interesting as well where there's this emphasis on 
smell where they talk about how obviously smelly millie um her daughter is because she's homeless and she makes the point her daughter doesn't smell she's carefully watched we see we see them pay attention to them washing and grooming as if to emphasize that but the idea that it is this thing this smell that sticks around the idea that the room where they're sleeping in no the kids can't get to sleep and she can't get to sleep because it smells of the food that they had for dinner because they don't have a separate space as john paul says there's nothing to cook here there's no room to cook here anyway and again, you have that idea that when Alfie comes out of the house, when he comes out of Grandma's house, the first thing he says is, Grandma's house smells nice, which is probably the only time a child has said that about a grandparent's house. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was mean. Uh, my grandparent's house smelled lovely. <laughs> it smells like death in there. Let's go. <laughs> gonna... <laughs> Let's get out of Dodge. Uh, but I, I, again... I didn't, pick, I, I didn't pick up on the smells bit, but there were two bits that I did think, Janie Max. One was the chips bit. You're spitting yeah. chips in a car. That stinks. That car is going to stink because I've been, I, my dad went off, we'd go from Cork to Dublin. My dad's a dub and he'd stop off before we got to his, his, his place, his, his parents' house and he'd buy chips and I hated it because I knew the last 20 minutes were going to stink <laughs> of salt and vinegar, vinegar chips for 20 minutes. I just couldn't handle it. I had to roll down the window. That was one. And the other one was the, the, the girl, the, is it Millie? Um, with the, yeah. the, the damp clothes and that she knows she doesn't want to put them on. And again, that was one of those moments where I've taught, I've taught those kids, you know, when you, when you're, you going around and you can smell the damp clothes and, and, and one, what, like it happens all the time. So sometimes my clothes aren't washed properly and I go in with the damp top, go, Jesus, it smells damp. But when it's constant, you know, when it's every day for week on week on week, and it's the same child, uh, it just hits differently. And that's another reason why I, I think I like, I like, the idea of this film being in a in a classroom of seventeen and eighteen year olds, uh, more mature students, where you can discuss these things, um, and maybe be because every class has difficulties and problems in, in there amongst every every class has a multitude of problems, um, these days, um, the much we were much more aware of them than we might have been years ago, and it gives you the opportunity to discuss these things carefully and in a mature fashion. Um, and it gives students a perspective. So that's why probably I'd teach it. I'd have to be very careful what class I taught this with. I'd have to teach it with a class that I knew 90% were mature, that I could get them to a place where we can discuss these, where like Johnny won't go off and say something stupid. Um, so that's the other reason why. So that that smell, when I was watching it, when I watched it first, I, 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 I could see the number of students over the last 20 odd years. And... And also it's gone, God, that's why, that's why we should teach it as well, because there's so many things that go on in the classroom. And that's why I got teary this morning, because I knew those students and I know some of their backgrounds and I know the difficulties and I know that they're in front of me. Um, and yeah, so it kind of, it kind of gets you, teachers do care, despite what people might think, we actually do care. And and it is worth knowing that that scene with the chips is food waste. Um, <laughs> the obligatory two fifty uh, trope out the way there. It's a terrible movie, Darren. <laughs> there, no, no, it has it food a... waste in it. Therefore, it is like a two fifty movie. Yeah, yeah. I, this is where I. This is where I like. I love that Connor's like. I like talking about this with kids who are mature who won't go off and say something stupid. And Darren's like, let's talk about food waste. <laughs> and, and also, like, I I do. This is kind of a flippant thing, but it's also kind of a serious thing. It ties into that idea of like balancing what could very easily be a saccharine overwrought melodramatic premise uh, and making it feel in that Roddy Doyle way, very human and very organic. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm also like, this may reveal Darren to be a terrible human being. 
I did quite like that the kids weren't adorable. I did quite like that Alfie was a little stinker. I do quite <laughs> like that I was watching the movie and being like, Alfie really does seem like he's a handful. I don't, he's not a Spielberg kid. He's not a kid where he's looking up with doe eyes and like asking questions and making you cry. He's no, he's throwing things around the hallway. He's, he's making noise. He's, he's not like annoying he's, or, or oh, okay. um, spiteful. <laughs> okay. No, he's uh, not spiteful. He's not, he's not evil. He's when not when John Paul doesn't take him to the shop. <laughs> yeah. Goes, yeah, yeah, that's why I can't remember what he said. Or he wouldn't yeah. enjoy it, or be too I'll much. I'll be from... quicker without him. Yeah, yeah that's I'm... yeah, yeah, yeah. And she makes some no. kind of comment as a yeah, that's very real. <laughs> no, no, like the, the, I, I, I really love that moment where she's like, just, a, I just need a moment yeah, without you this just kid. A break just, just a moment. <laughs> and I love the job. And John Paul is like, no, I, I can't do it. Like, uh, the, the movie's gently like, John Paul, he's a pretty good guy. He does the best that he can under the circumstances. But even that, that's too much. In, I, in terms of in terms of children not, not being like overly adorable, I feel like Madison is probably adorable enough for the. That's fair. Them. That yeah, is fair. Yeah. yeah, she gets across the line. Um, and again, I like the. Um, just speaking of like how well observed it was, like watching it and having flashbacks, like I. My grandmother lived in Kilbarrack, uh, which is near where Roddy Doyle taught. He, he taught my aunt. But like the inside of the house where they go and visit where Millie is watching Gilmore Girls, which I, lo- I love that inspired touch. Oh, yeah. Like this is a movie that has yeah. very few specific cultural touchstones. But the phrase Gilmore Girls is mentioned twice, once in a language that isn't even English, which I kind of adore. <laughs> but the layout of that house was remarkable because it was exactly because obviously it's council housing. It was kind of built at the same time. It is exactly the house that my grandmother used to live in, right down to the bars on the stairway going up. It was such a weird, like nostalgic, perfectly observed kind of like use of location. And I actually do to be very boring and very Irish about it. We can finally do it because this is an Irish podcast. We have a frame of reference. I love the geography of the movie. Like, I love that the movie takes place in in a Dublin that we recognize. Whenever Dublin appears in movies, it generally cuts from all various angles of the city. One of my favorite examples, I think, is it Haywire, which is a Steven Soderbergh movie, where they have an action sequence where the characters stop and get in a taxi in the middle of the action sequence to cross over the Liffey and continue fighting on the north side because they've (laughs) decided that they want to shoot the scene there. Um, But here I like like John Paul leaving up at the, again, up at the point leaving going to the lewis stop at the point getting off like oh, as he gets into town uh down around the jervis center like i like how particularly irish it is like despite the fact it's as we mentioned brannock isn't doing wide shots he isn't you know he isn't showing off locations he isn't establishing shots but you get a sense of dublin even in this claustrophobic movie as a real place with its own real geography which i think is important for a movie that is fundamentally about homelessness like it's about not having a place so it the movie itself having a sense of place is important, I think. They do a bit of like um I think there's Fairview. I feel like that place, what's it called? Skyway is meant to be like sort of somewhere around like City West or somewhere like that. Um or it has that kind of sense of this place kind of uh, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, sort of, you know, in in, in uh, some god godforsaken <laughs> like kind of r- it's in r- ring around yeah. the M fifty, yeah. yeah. I like the fact that John John Paul pays for the Lewis. He taps. Yeah, he always taps. taps. And I love that. It's just a little character. This is a good guy. He's tapping all the time. Oh yeah, and and they check that they have money and everything like that. Like yeah. the thing is, they are they are obviously poor, but they're they're not impoverished. She does check that you have enough money, but they have enough money to buy what they need. 
and, and they're not bitter as well. Like I love the scene where they're getting chips and they see the Lady Gaga fans. Yeah, I love that yeah. the Lady Gaga thing becomes a runner, but they see the teenage girls wearing the, the Lady Gaga costumes and the little monsters running around Dublin. And it would be so easy to be bitter about that because they're one of the reasons you don't have a hotel room tonight. But instead they both go, looks kind of fun. Yeah, you know? It's it's kind of it's very human, I think. The other the other very human bit as well is is her interaction with her daughters, bringing them up uh, to I think it's Millie. She brings up to the front seat, but she picks her up to help her with the the phone calls, and then at the end, God, it's Kaylee sitting at the front with her, and Kaylee goes, "No, I prefer to be here," um, which I find problematic. She's a thirteen year old girl, you know, she shouldn't have that weight on her shoulders, but that's the situation. They're all together. That's kind of a nice, that'd be a nice thing to discuss. But I, I just like, that's very real. The wanting to be with mum, wanting to help mum, wanting to kind of be part of what's going on. I, I just, and the way that they interacted as well, it just felt, it felt like something relatable, something I've seen before, something I, I know my own kids would do with my wife um, because they prefer her to me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, you mentioned that idea of kind of staying together and I guess that's kind of something to just talk about as we wrap up but like yeah I, you mentioned this being a movie about family much like Fast X a movie that has become our touchstone <laughs> for this comparative study that we're doing um, but like the idea of they, how, they live in their cars too they, they do live they in their do. cars too <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we're waiting for in like Fast X part 2 is the moment where like the family wagon from Rosie just pulls in um, that would be brilliant oh my god what would Rosie and John Paul they just go no they get back in the car (laughs) cut to to Sarah Green and like Mo Dunford in the front seat of the car tell me that's not a billion dollar movie idea right there (laughs) they would have taken the the Coronas with them that's probably the only thing they would have taken a box of Coronas and see you later guys we gotta Um, gotta get chips (laughs) (laughs) Alfie in the back seat of the car just blowing um, like chips in the direction of Jason Momoa Um, but um, (laughs) To, to more seriously talk about that idea of family, I do like how much emphasis the, the movie puts on the idea of keeping the family together. Like the idea is that like so much of the labor of what Rosie is doing is finding a way to hold the family together in spite of this extraordinary circumstance. She makes the point that the kids, you know, the, fir- the first of all, the kids can't stay with her mother for very obvious reasons, that backstory that we get. But even outside of that, she's like, I don't want the kids staying anywhere that isn't with us. She refuses to let, is it Millie or Kaylee, stay uh, in that household, for example, she, you know, refuses to sleep rough. She's very like the unspoken fear with the teacher is the fear of social services and the idea that like she may call social services and the children may be taken into protection if the teacher believes that she can't take care of them herself. And the idea that like, the really tragic ending of the movie is that the family unit does have to kind of break up where John Paul can't be in the car with them just due to like spatial issues and he obviously he goes out he says he's going to is it darren's house but obviously he's not he's going to sit and he's going to watch over them but it does end up with the breaking up of that family in a in a small way that feels like a very significant loss given how hard rosie has worked to make sure that they 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 don't have to do that i thought that was a very very effective consistent theme running this, the movie. this, this would be a great one uh, to bring it back to the leaving sir to discuss in general vision and viewpoint as in, it ends very bleakly. So I'd have you, Darren, saying, you know, at the end, the family's broken up. And then I'd probably be saying, well, it's not because he didn't go to his brothers. He's just outside the car. He has given them all space and he's he's still there watching over them. Um, I'd say what? A watchful protector, a vengeful a watchful night. protector. But it doesn't, the film doesn't end in that shot, which I always thought it did, but it doesn't, it ends on the shot of, of Rosie through the window. And I think that's, 
bleaker because we had the shot of the three kids in the three. I'm getting the numbers all wrong. We had the shots of the kids <laughs> in the back, the Kaylee, and then Kaylee actually from outside as well, the car. And then we have a shot of Rosie and then it goes black. And I think that's the, the separation of the family in those sequence of shots. Yeah. I would find that more depressing as well, in this could be, you know, what's going to happen next. The entire family, like the entire movie has been spent inside with the family. It's you're with the family looking out as, as kind of Brannock pointed out. So much of the movie is shot through windows, but they're windows looking outwards for the at the end of the movie. You can't have the entire family inside. The entire family is not inside there is an outside and an inside, you know, that would be my counter argument to your idea that like <laughs> John Paul is, you know, is, is, is a watchful protector, a silent guardian, not the hero that the family deserves, but the hero that it needs right now. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I do think that like that division, while it's, you know, purely, it's arguably more symbolic than literal in that, like he is still there. He is still looking out for them. He is still part of the scene. He's within walking distance of them. The fact that, for the first time that divide between an inside and an outside exists at all um is is i would argue a scene a, a sense that things have been lost but yeah how's he going to sleep is he going to lie down on those pallets that i mean like i think I mean, the implication is he's not going to sleep like because he says his last instruction to her is to lock the doors because he's oh, he's yeah. very nervous about like he's up and wouldn't you with a family in a big empty car park in a car like that yeah. i thought the implication is that he's going to watch them he's going to stay up and watch them because he, he does like not you you mentioned that old stereotype of like the 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 stereotypical approach to teaching this was to look at relationships between men and women traditional gender roles yeah there is definitely some of that in this movie where john paul is again the working man and rosie is the the mother traditional mother figure but you have the line like right before when she says that sequence after they've seen the little monsters when they're having the conversation outside the car with the children inside the car where he says to himself like can't even take care of my family that's my one that's what i'm supposed to do which is a very you know masculine breadwinner i'm supposed to protect these people that was my role or my function um the idea of him sitting outside on the pallets looking at them i think is him trying to fulfill that role in some way but in a way that fundamentally yeah that's it yeah but in a way that puts a distance between him and the family that didn't previously exist you know and 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 the mother's rosie's pushing katie to stay in school get your homework done education is your way out she mentions that as well kind of because obviously she didn't have that experience yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. john paul Um, is an interesting name to give him i always thought i always wondered if it's a little dig I mean, is this a movie about the death of Christian belief in modern Irish life? Um, <laughs> I think there's a bit of that there somewhere in the background. <laughs> okay, now before we wrapped up, I think I they, think it, they okay. have double barrel surnames. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a suggestion of equality, a suggestion of kind of like yeah. where it's not just you're not just taking the man's surname as would have been traditional in the Roman Catholic. I place. always grew up uh, believing that it was just very well-to-do people who used double-barrel surnames. I well, is it a sense of aspiration like the... Camilla with, Parker Bowles and people with, okay. like that. Um, but but uh, or Saxberg Gotha. <laughs> but it's, is, but, it, is it but, like Connor said, the trampoline, it's an aspiration of middle-classness. Is that... Well, no, okay. I, 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 I think I've been corrected recently. I've been told, like, no, actually, that's not true. There's, there's all sorts of people have um, uh, double barrel surnames. But Connor, I think you came up with the idea that it might be interesting to talk about how this movie would relate to other texts. So to uh, books or the plays on the curriculum in question, if I remember correctly. So I took it as off the curriculum, but ah, I, have okay, okay. I, I have I but I do have one on the curriculum and I mentioned that it might pair nicely with. Is it Fast X? <laughs> it's Fast X, yes. <laughs> it's one because so you're looking at uh, 
when you're looking to compare, it's compare and contrast. So what would we go with it and what would kind of fight against it? So I, I decided, and I have them here, uh, I decided Media by Euripides, uh, which is a very different ending to this one. <laughs> um, so I thought that'd be the perfect one. It's kind of classic. It's got the family dynamics. It ends slightly differently, but not in a good way. But that was kind of um, by the by the two that I thought would be interesting if I went off list would be two books on other from other Irish people kind of marginalized Irish people well one of them is um, one of them lives in a hostel in, a refugee she's Melatu Uke Okori this hostel life it's a series of what well, one short story but also personal essays about living in, in hostels in Ireland Um and the other one is Don't Touch My Hair by Emma Dabiri, who talks about growing up black in Dublin. Um, and she talks about it through through her hair and how, you know, how, so she, that's kind of the entry point, how people wanted to touch her hair, talk about her hair, go on about her hair. Um, so I thought those, those those be interesting to bring into a classroom if I, I was completely free in looking at other kind of parts of Irish life that, we tend to kind of avoid or ignore or even look down on. Um, so those those were the two. Hostile life and don't touch my hair. Don't um, touch my hair, by the way, is brilliant. I've used that a lot. I yes. Guess. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Rosie? Anything else that kind of jumps out at you that we haven't talked about already? No, I have my notes and I don't see anything else. Um, my notes just say, I feel sorry that you had to study cinema paradiso. Um, <laughs> Darren I won't had, shut up about it. <laughs> I had notes and nice shots and stuff that I liked, but uh, I think we're I think we're good. That's about it. Okay. Yeah, cinema paradiso. Dear God. Anyway. <laughs> I, I got I got the sense it was one of those again. It was a, that situation you described where you have a teacher who is set in their ways and who likes texts that tended to stay on and would like teach them continuously rather than like shake things up. Um, so like a very classical text was Cinema Paradiso. But you have to remember, to be fair, to Cinema Paradiso when it came out, it was kind of like um, a lot of people's introduction to art house movies back back in those yeah. days. Um, it's a postcard it was, art house, I think, is what yeah, Philip Bradshaw yeah. calls it. Yeah, Weinstein, Weinstein movies. I used to call them, and I don't call them that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Miramax. There's no association with that name. <laughs> But um, the Emperor Mira Maximus, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the Emperor Mira Maximus. Um, in terms of um, other stuff, just very briefly worth noting, uh, like to give a sense of how urgent this crisis was and how real this crisis was, like Sarah Green has pointed out that while they were shooting the scenes in the hotel their first night, like they would pass people who were in like that situation, who were being housed in the hotel overnight because they couldn't find a home and like actually seeing them coming in and going out and all this sort of stuff. Like, so that like, that's how urgent and how real this crisis was that even making this movie, there was a sense that it was like right next door. It was, it was very present. It was kind of hanging over, but Andrew, um, in terms of like, if you wanted to make uh, suggest something that would be comparable to this movie that might pair, so if you want to be this, the Somalia, this is kind of doubling for the recommendations. Is uh, it doubling? Okay, I didn't. It know is. That. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, I, 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 I suppose. Um, uh, will Will I do it now, or will it be at the end? All right. Well, then, Grand. Well, we'll do recommendations then. So, Connor, if you want to recommend something. I think it's, it's a um I you you you'd recommended a couple already hadn't you it, it was uh, uh, don't touch my hair and it it was the um hostel, hostel life. this hostel life. life yeah this hostel life perfect uh, but if there was anything you want to recommend that isn't those two texts 
you know, just in general, I recently finished Poker Face, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. The Rian Johnson, Natasha... Leon? Leon. Um, which is series. on Sky now. It's on Sky now. And I watched, I devoured it. And then I had to yeah. stop because I was enjoying it too much. <laughs> I knew there's only 10 episodes, <laughs> uh, but it was right up my street. And t- I just thought it was fantastic. It's, it's just brilliant. It is one of the best TV shows of the year. And this has been a very good year for television. Um, I would I would second that recommendation. Andrew, what yes. would you recommend? What would you pair if you're going to be the Peter Serafin if it's Somalier? So I, I thought about kind of the um sort of gritty or sort of down and out and i realized that a lot of american fiction romanticizes it i guess but uh, but not not in a way that i especially dislike there's just a kind of like the sense of depression Great Depression. Oh, yeah, novels, yeah, I was thinking like, Ste- when you said that, I was immediately like Steinbeck. Yeah, yeah but it, it, I, I, the ones I was going to mention would be Cannery Row, which I think I mentioned before. Um, it's it's great. It's short, and it's it's just a kind of like a a a a, a slice of 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 life. I think it, it it um I mean it has some kind of like excitement to it. Some of the descriptions are fantastic. Um, just a fantastic description of 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 a group of men getting up in a doss house, when, and all of the kind of like various things that men do when they wake up, and um, so I I I would recommend that, um, I would, and it got me thinking as well about Post Office by Charles Bukowski, and I think it's it's kind of the the sort of book that a teenager will kind of take to. I prefer. In terms of Bukowski, I prefer Ham and Rye, which is also, um, in part at least, a a Great Depression sort of semi autobiographical memoir um, of his childhood, and it's 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 much less. The problem with Chinaski and uh, Henry Chinaski, the 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 character who is, who is Charles Bukowski in these books, like the uh, uh, Post Office and Factotum, and I think maybe even Barfly, but the, the um is that he's not very nice and uh, he's um and you're, really? you're, you're, you're and i'm you're shocked not, and you're not really rooting for him and it's it's just kind of like you know scuzzy the nice thing about ham and rye is realizing kind of the sensitive person underneath all that who was once a child and just had a horrible time so that, that it makes you feel, I think, more for for that character, even though it, I believe it was a little bit later than some of the some of the the other Henry Chinaski books. Yeah, yeah, I'd recommend both of those, and I think also we spoke about kind of high versus low art, and it 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 put me in mind of Tom Stoppard's The Real Thing. There's a large discussion in that about kind of anti-intellectualism. But also the playwright who is arguing for like these things need to be done well and like a uh, uh, crafted in a, in a, in in a particular way and that the you can't just kind of say like oh that's a whole lot of like Oxford Cambridge like English Don nonsense. It's like no, there's 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 like there's a lot of he he gives the example of a cricket bat yeah. and says like a cricket bat is this is this special thing. That is um, sprung to kind of de- deliver the cricket ball, kind of um, uh, um, out, out out of the field, and that it, it's not just a, a piece of wood 
but also there is the 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 voice for the defense and sometimes spoken again the character is called henry but uh in in the real thing he is about to be on desert island discs and is trying to think of some um like opera that, that, high class. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't like opera. He he <laughs> he 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 likes kind of bubblegum pop. But he's try. He doesn't want to go on the BBC and sound like a complete philistine because he's supposed to be this important playwright. This is also perhaps a semi-autobiographical <laughs> um, work. So yeah, and it, it's 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 interesting then listening to Tom Stoppard on. Desert, uh, Desert Island, Island discs. discs, yeah. That's the companion piece. Did, yeah. what, what did he pick on Desert Island Discs? Um, I believe his um, uh, his luxury item was a um, a ball. So like one of those balls that's easy to kind of keep up. Okay. You know, like 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 the one that you would buy uh, in like a seaside town. Like Wilson. For, 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 he for, asked for a, for a Wilson. No, no, no. Okay. The more, you, you know, you know, you know, the ones that they, they, they oh, make that pleasant thin. sound when it's like, when you're, when you're kicking them about. Yeah. They end up drifting out to sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd recommend those. I also finished through Detective Season 3, which was fantastic. Um, It's, it's, it's. It's amazing. I love the idea of the detective story. Um, the detective inspecting himself. Yeah, and it, uh, but not in like an adaptation kind of way. No, like no, like where the it's three, isn't it's, that the name? Where of it's script? kind of where dementia is yeah. the mystery. Yeah. yeah, where you are a mystery to yourself. The yeah, essential. Yeah, and I, 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 th- I think like as a three season, um, soon, soon to, to be, be four. four yeah. Um, piece of television. I think it, it's um, it's hard to beat. I think it, it's in the kind of conversation a, a, around the best uh, prestige television. I think they need to make a few more of them because <laughs> I think people people didn't like the second season of The Wire. Um, I <laughs> so like the, they, second they like the, the, the second season of The Wire and the second season of True Detective. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to the fourth season. It's um, it's Jodie Foster. Isn't That's it? right. Yeah. Um, and now it's funny you should mention that story about the playwright going on Desert Island Discs and being afraid Why? that his taste was far too populous. I was reading the group because this has been a very busy week. I was reading the group chat before we came on and Andrew's like, we should recommend plays and books to make it more relevant <laughs> to leaving cert students. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is really not my specialist subject. There is a book about Chucky. <laughs> yeah, there is that I quite enjoyed. I've got like the the, uh, the 50 year history, is the oral history of Star Trek. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can recommend comics. Yeah, you can absolutely Graphic novels are on the list these, these they days. They are indeed. Are they? Is Mouse on there? Uh, Mouse isn't on. The last one is, the last one that was on was Persepolis. Oh, I was oh, going wow. to ask if Persepolis was on, was yeah. on it. That's yeah. terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I taught it, but I taught it when I didn't realize that my eyesight had plummeted and I could barely read it. And I used to, when the guys at the front of the class used to say, Sir, do you want me to, can I just read it for you? <laughs> 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 I'd, be, I'd be scrunched up against it. Oh, so anyway, yes, but yeah, it's, it's a great book to teach. Much, quite very dense. I'd forgotten, but yeah. Uh, hopefully not old current soon. And obviously I would recommend both of those. And I'd also recommend um, any of Will Eisner's uh, later work. Um, like um, his, his Fagin the Jew, which I think was his last work, which I found deeply, deeply moving as well, uh, which was a meditation on caricature, Jewishness and identity through the lens of uh, comic book or graphic storytelling. Um, so yeah, that makes me seem sufficiently cultured. Um, but yeah, I would also <laughs> recommend, I quite enjoyed Poker Face um, at the moment. 
yeah, that would be that would be my recommendation. All right, then. So, Connor, you're going to be joining us for the full five weeks for this September. We are going back to school. Uh, but if listeners are looking for a bit more Connor Murphy in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out. Watch up to. Uh, find me on Twitter at Connor Smurf. But more, more than likely, I'll be giving out about some educational thing or saying I read a comic or saying I didn't like a TV program. They're the three things I tweet about. <laughs> or the odd, the, odd, the odd tweet saying I'm watching some really pretentious movie. That's, the other, that's it. Um, At Connor Smurf, that's me. Perfect. And we will be back next week. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what order these are going to go out in, but I'm going to take a guess. They're going to be close to recording order. So we'll be back next week covering Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Starring Saoirse Ronan. Uh, we'll be covering that with the fantastic Aoife Barry from thejournal.ie, the author of Social Capital. She'll be joining the three of us for that discussion. Really, really looking forward to it. You can follow the podcast on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are found. Thank you so much, Connor. This has been a pleasure. Really looking forward to this. Uh, take care, guys. Bye. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks so much, Connor. That was great.